Hi, my name is Graham Michael Watson. Uh, I've been a King Diamond fan since I was 12. I'm 50 years old now. It changed my life. I listened to them because they were under the radar of all the PMRC stuff with my parents. In 1998, I got to open up for the Voodoo Tour and twice and uh, the Dead Again Tour after being so close to King Diamond, uh, I never got to met, meet the guy, but I did have a cool experience to where uh, the show started late because of business dealings and King Diamond was sick. Um, Andy was standing in front of me and I had a solo that tributed him and he looked at me and gave me two thumbs up. Cool story. Life achievement for me. Thank you. Welcome to this broadcast belongs to them. Yes, we are back. How long has it been since we have done this show? It's probably been like a year. About that, yeah. I think it's been a year, and and I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's been so much shit going on. Everybody's life, and uh, but we're back now. At, you know, at, at right now for this at least this one episode. We don't know about the next one. It might be another year. Who knows? But at least we're back for this one, and we are back for the house of God. Let me ask you. Um, yes. Uh, when did I start doing this? Did I start from the inception or did I come in later on? A little later on. You came in on the, um, the EP. That's the beginning, dude. Well, that's technically the beginning of King Diamond, but we did Black Rose, Black Rose, Brats. Oh, okay, okay, right on. All right. So you're not an original member of the show, but uh, no, man, I'm like, uh, I'm like uh, Gilby Clark. Yeah, (laughs) we want you here, (laughs) or skunk baxter when he joined the doobie brothers (laughs) well yeah house of god uh probably one of my favorite uh king diamond album covers i really love this album cover i actually own the t-shirt of this too and you do too as well greg right yep yeah i have the door shirt from when when my ear pod (laughs) because i got some of my hair stuck behind it so it fell out but yes i have uh the shirt from this tour that I went to. This was the first King Diamond album I bought as a new release. Oh, really? Yeah. 
first one I bought was uh, uh, what do you call it? The Spider's Lullaby. Actually, no, I'm wrong. Uh, the Eye. Sorry. Uh, but yeah, I got the vinyl. It's pretty cool. The inside's really cool. I love the pictures in there. I have it as well. I I have. Well, is that like a reissue? Because I got all the reissues. Yes, this is the reissue one. Yeah. I don't know. Did that come out on vinyl initially? Probably didn't. Probably, no, I don't. Think I so. don't think so. Not on Metal Blade in two thousand. I ended up getting all the Metal Blade ones. I actually bought them twice because, you know, when them first came out, um, I never bought it on vinyl. I went straight to because CDs were new, and back then the hype was like, oh, superior and this and that. And plus, yeah. I I lived in a shoebox apartment that. CDs were very convenient. I gave away vinyl, one of my biggest regret ever. Right. You know, I mean, I had a horrible girlfriend that destroyed my life. It still wasn't as bad as me giving away fucking vinyl that I would <laughs> buy on CD, except I knew not to give away my Merciful Fate EP. I mean, I wasn't that dumb. Was but, you know, when I got the beginning on CD, I still kept. But um, uh, them... When I, I guess it was Metal Blade, the first time they put out them on, they put the whole album on one side, except the last song was on side two with those crappy rehearsal things. You know what I'm talking right, about? Right, right. Oh, yeah. It sounded horrible. So then they released it again in color vinyl, you know, with Bye Bye Misty starting side two. Yeah. My mother getting sick or one or two. And I, I ended up buying that. But yeah, I, and then I ended up buying every single. Uh, release they did and i bought i think it was because of you wayne um that um i bought melissa mm. from metal blade because it had the original version without the extra vocal uh-huh. and i missed that so much you know yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, finally yeah. Got that. but i gave away my original melissa my original don't break the oath and so on you know oh wow that's crazy i actually i i made a trade with greg a long time ago and i got greg's old vinyls Yep. <laughs> they're still here. They're not going anywhere. Got a trade out of it. I didn't get I, shit. Yeah. Well, I got a blowjob from one shit, but, <laughs> but that didn't do. That wasn't because I'm going to suck your dick because you gave me vinyl. She was sucking my dick before I gave her vinyl. <laughs> uh, the the one thing I I want to mention on this album, there's a lot of new people in the band here. Uh, well, only two. Movies. Well, and also the way those pictures are shot and done up, they kind of look like the two boy army, but. Uh... <laughs> well we have uh david harbour who actually on this episode we will have an interview which we did what probably about three years ago yeah it was <laughs> about three years ago i was thinking about that <laughs> it's a little old interview but it was a very cool interview a lot of stuff uh that he talked about for this album and then we also have glenn drover and the other thing uh is this is the last album john uh how do you pronounce his name hebert this is the last hebert, album he is yeah. as well so some it's just uh you know a lot of new things and the, the last album for one of the members so uh yeah house of god uh greg do you want to talk about like the backstory of this album sure so this is kind of an interesting one i actually think it's one of his most interesting stories he's wrote because I mean, it's more supernatural and conspiracy based than it is like straight out horror but um, it's loosely based on the legend of, and I'm going to fuck this up because I have no idea how to speak French, but René's Les Chateaux. Maybe. Yeah, he said it perfectly. Perfect. Nice. Um, and it starts with the monologue that upon the cross, he did not die. They tortured him, but he survived, smuggled across the open sea to southern France 
tranquility. There he married the Magdalene and found another dynasty. A church was built upon the hill to serve all the gods at will. And that's the first song, which is the intro, which basically the the legend is that, um, well, Jesus, it's, it's like the plot of the lap, Last Temptation of Christ, which I think was a Scorsese movie, maybe. But uh, anyway, basically that he gets out uh, the crucifixion somehow and ends up marrying Mary Magdalene and heads off to France. And then when he dies, his body is like uh, hidden in this church for years. Hmm. And then one night, centuries later, a weary traveler becomes lost in the woods in an area ominously called the Devil's Hide despite being familiar with these woods. But he and his horse are soon surrounded by wolves from the forest. I'm going to start paraphrasing this because this is really fucking long. Yeah, it's really long. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, a she-wolf, who's the leader of the pack, which she has shining blue eyes, which becomes important later. few moments later. Um, takes takes control and then leads him to a small church at the bottom of the hill, which has the inscription on the front, this place is terrible. And then he enters the church, which is the house of God, and everything changes from abandoned and decrepit to like there's a full banquet there and two different pulpits with demons um, in like a fresco and things like that. And then the wolf turns into a woman called Angel, promising to love the traveler forever. Two hours later. And he falls in love with her, and they make love frequently in the church. And then he starts noticing really weird stuff about her, like her kissing this black devil statue on a pulpit. And then they're together in the confession booth one day, and she breaks down and tells him her fate, which is a year prior to him coming there. She was for, uh, contacted by supernatural forces and the, into guarding the church. And she reverts into this wolf form anytime she leaves the grounds of the church. And she only has a year to find a replacement or she dies. So since he's in love with her and all that, he takes over the pact for her. And then she says goodbye, even though when she leaves and returns to Peter Hummond form, she won't remember him. And then he starts losing his mind because his heart's broken and he's isolated in this church. He basically can't leave unless the form of a wolf. And then he goes nuts and starts tearing stuff apart in the church, finds a hidden trap door, which goes down into the catacombs. He follows this light down to this chamber, breaks a crumbling statue of the Virgin Mary, and inside he finds the mummified corpse of a crucified glowing Jesus wearing a crown of thorns. Three hours later. Can you move it along? I'm all out of time cards. And then he realizes it's Jesus, flees in terror, and goes up into the church. And then a bunch of spirits fly out of the catacombs up at him with weird lights and contorted faces and bodies, which is another description that makes me think a lot of Lovecraft. And anyway, they explain to him that he's learned the lie about the cross, which while they won't reveal why they're keeping the corpse of Jesus, but state that they have and are the forces behind the ideals of God and Satan and good and evil, and they survive on the beliefs inspired by the eternal battle between this good and evil. 
and they are far higher beings than these concepts. Thousands of tears later. So they tell this traveler to simply live his life the best he can and leave the rest to them. But after the revelation, he loses his faith and uh, completely denounces everything. And then hangs himself in desperation. And as he jumps, he yells out, this place is terrible. Like it was written on the front of the church. That's awesome. King, King's awesome. What a crime, huh? How there's no movies. Based yeah, on- I know. Them would be the so- but oh, oh yeah. Are you done now? Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. Christ. Let's let's remake Total Recall and let, let's ignore King Diamond movies. <laughs> I know why. Why has it never been? I mean, is it his fault or what? I, I don't know. Well, hey, hey. <clears throat> it wouldn't surprise me. Did you see the latest King Diamond news? No, what? No. Um, what's his name? Brian Slagle says. There won't be no new King Diamond album uh, this year. <laughs> Come on, already. what the fuck? Seriously? I don't, I don't think it's ever going. They would have got shit done, you know. I don't think it's ever going to happen, and we've discussed that on this show and on previous shows and other shows. King Diamond's next album should be called Cuban Democracy. <laughs> 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 And so, in Soviet Russia, album makes you. (laughs) (laughs) Boy, all right. Well, getting into the album, uh, like we discussed, uh, Greg discussed earlier, uh, "Upon the Cross." It's like an intro, uh, and that just drums and uh, like a demon voice talking over him. It's a very uh, creepy intro to an album. I I love this intro. Uh, I do. I do. It's so eerie. It's awesome. What do you think, Greg? Yeah, I love it with uh, the the tone of the demon voice and then the tribal drums and those, uh, you know, the keyboards and the different sounds. It really sets the tone. It's really ominous and dark. Yeah, yeah and especially at the end, too, when those keyboards or whatever that sound is, it's like an organ or whatever. It just like has that like sound. It's like really haunting. So I love that. Uh, then it kicks into the trees have eyes. It's a good start to the album, but I immediately notice the album sounds really flat. Unlike the previous album, Voodoo. I love how Voodoo sounds. That's like probably my favorite sounding album of this era. Um, the drums sound like cardboard boxes. I, I talked to Greg about this earlier. Uh, it seems like King also, again, has like some kind of effects on his voice that I don't really care too much for. But as far as the song goes, I like it. Uh, fairly memorable chorus. I like the double bass drumming uh, during the chorus. Uh, I also like the part where King mimics the screams of the guitar part, like in the middle of the song. Yeah. That's pretty cool. But the one thing I don't like is that howling part after that solo. It sounds a little, it sounds a little corny because it, it sounds like him doing it. Like, Ooh, like somebody, like he stepped on it in like a nail or something. <laughs> but uh, in general, the song, I like the intro, the, the beginning of this album. So it's a good song. Tree Have Eyes. Lou, I mean, Lou, uh, uh, Ralph. Yeah, it's a galloping romp, but it's kind of, it kind of goes nowhere though. It's not bad. It does have some interesting changes, but it's kind of just there. It's almost like King Diamond by numbers. Right. It's not bad. It's not great. But to me, it's like I said, it's just there. Yeah. So I can't really can't really praise it. But, you know, it's not terrible. You know? mm. it gets better. Does it? Greg. 
That's funny, though, because I, I feel the same way Ralph does about the song, about a lot of other tracks on here. But this one is actually my favorite song from the record. It's a, it's a great opener, and I actually think the changes are really interesting here where they kind of become a little bit dull later. Hmm. And like Wayne, you were saying that part was cool. And um, I love the, the solo in this one. And just the guitar parts on here are really great. They're almost thrashy. Glenn Drover made a real cool addition. I wish she would have uh, been able to stick around and do another album with them. Yeah. But yeah, the double bass and everything is great here too. And uh, the bass playing on this album is excellent. Real out and in your face along with the guitars. But it is flat and you can barely hear the drums at all. It drives me nuts. I mean, you actually have to strain to hear the cymbal crashes on certain songs. It's, mm-hmm. it's a shame how much they cut the low end out of it. Yeah, this, as we go on here, I'll, I'll mention some other stuff. But uh, yeah, the, the whole overall mix of this whole thing, I, I think there's a lot of things that we can't hear. There's like some harpsichord things that you can't really hear and some keyboard parts you can't hear. And it's just so buried. And it's a shame because I think this album would be better if it had a better mix to it. Uh, the next, <coughs> sorry, I get a cold. Uh, Follow the Wolf, the next song. Uh, this song, I'm a little indifferent to. Sometimes I like it, sometimes I don't. I don't know why. It just, this song really doesn't do nothing for me. I don't know. What about you, Ralph? I, I like it. I think it's much better than the first track. I love the mellow intro. Uh, then it goes into that great rocking song that follows. I love the changes back to the mellow, to the heavy again. And, you know, some cool vocal changes as well. And I love that demented spoken word at the end. I actually love this one. Follow me. It's pretty cool. I dig it. What about you, Greg? Uh, this is one of the ones where I kind of feel like it's a little bit of a filler almost. You know, it's it's definitely a good link for the story. And there are some cool changes and riffs in it and different vocal parts. But as a song overall, it's a little boring to me. Um, on this album specifically, it's got a real Deergy uh, kind of dark feel to it overall, like Lovecraft, like I was saying. And there's a lot of themes in the melodies they repeat in here quite a bit which for the most part I feel works really well, but in songs like this, it can make parts of it kind of boring. Right. It's good. It's just not one of my favorites because it's not quite as adventurous as other stuff on here. Right. Uh, next song, House of God. Uh, this is probably my favorite song off this thing. And uh, I love the intro with the guitar, with the melody starting it off, and then the organs come in. Uh, just uh, as with this whole album, I just wish the mix was better because as I mentioned before, um, there are things in this album that are just too buried, and uh, I, I think we're missing a lot of stuff, a lot of the, like the keyboards. And uh, I really like the chorus part where it slows down a bit. I like how that kind of di- it's different from the rest of the song. Um, that's what really makes the song. So I, I like this one a lot, Ralph. Yeah, it's a mid-tempo flow, catchy chorus, blasting solos with a dash of some harmonies in those solos. I mean, sh- to me, what's not to love? I love how he screams angel a few times at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, damn good song. I, I dig it. Yeah, it's one of the highlights. Probably my third favorite on the album. Greg? Yeah, this one's my second favorite. It's it's same stuff you guys said. It's just awesome. And when he's screaming angel is my, actually my favorite vocal moments of his on here. <laughs> just a great song. 
it's it's unfortunate the p- production's so flat though because like you were saying Wayne about the organ and all that I think this could sound even more beautiful if it sounded a little bit fuller. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Right, it just needs to brighten it up a bit or something. It's yeah. just too dull. Um, <clears throat> and I know I know Ralph, you don't really hear production things too much. No, I I don't notice none of the things you guys are saying. But <laughs> I mean, it's a look. It's a flaw. I understand. It's a flaw, but at the same time, it's a blessing. Because stuff like this doesn't... And then when I do notice it, I love those albums like Blizzard of Oz from Ozzy. I noticed that... I mean, if you listen to Blizzard of Oz, then listen to Diary of Madman, it's night and day. Right, right. And I love Hotter Than Hell by Kiss. That shit sounds like it's recorded in a tunnel. Born Again from Black Sabbath. Man, I love that album so much, the way it sounds, that I don't want it cleaned up like the rest of the planet. But I look forward to hearing it cleaned up now that they found the master tapes. But yeah, I don't notice production. I'm really um, like we guys are talking. You have to strain to hear the crashes, you know. Yeah. But then again, by you saying that, now I'm going to have to listen to it and say, "All right, let me hear the crashes." Because I, I don't remember the crashes because I didn't strain. So <laughs> I didn't hear them. <laughs> you have to do a little bit yeah, and. And that's what I think a lot of the problem people have with this record is because I was reading some reviews online earlier and, you know, they were saying stuff like, oh, the riffs are mediocre and blah, 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 and this and that. And it, it's not that they're not writing interesting stuff. It's that the production's so flat and their tones are so similar. The lines are running together a little bit, in the songs, and it kind of sounds a little bit like a, a jumble. I just happened to pick it out because I listened to this like three times in a row today because it had been a long time. And I really like the album. But one thing I like about that, though, is it's cool because by having to go and listen even more actively to it, you pick up on a lot of stuff you didn't even realize there was there. Because mm-hmm. Glenn Drover does some really cool stuff with uh, Andy on this, you know, with some trade-offs and different riffs and leads. Well, let me let me ask both of you. What if you were to pick the one King Diamond album that has the best production out of all of them? What would it be? I think Voodoo. I, I like Voodoo a lot. How about you, Greg? That you don't have a problem with the production. You guys have oh. a, you guys have a problem with Fatal Portrait? No, no. I, I was actually thinking either Fatal Portrait or Abigail. Both of them sound fine, you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Yeah, because I know there we've done several episodes with complaints of the sound of the albums. Um, how about a, Don't Break I, the Open, Melissa? No. See, I can, no, I can I deal with those because at that period of time, that's what that music, that's what the most of the albums sounded like, you know? So I'm okay with that. But being, this is from the year 2000. So you expect more. I expect it to be more shinier. I expect it to be more yeah. polished a little bit, especially coming from Voodoo to this. It just well, and that that's kind of what they did here. With at least I think that almost might have probably directly led to the next album being Abigail too. Is they almost seem to kind of go back to those early King Diamond albums in a way here, and because it's it's not as good as voodoo i mean i still like this album a lot i actually think it's one of his best ones but um 
not back to basics, but back to that old sound a little bit and the guitar playing and certain things they were doing with the rhythms, which is why it's unfortunate. It kind of has that dry sound, almost like the graveyard did. I really think they uh, started slipping on production in the 90s on uh, Spider's Lullaby. Before that and after that, I really don't have much of a problem. Give Me My Soul, please. It sounds really cool, too, but uh, that's a little too polished, I think. I don't know. I like it like in the middle somewhere. You know, I like a happy. Give Me Your Soul, please, is a little bit too bright. Yeah. Yeah. But it sounds good. Uh, You can hear all the instruments very clear and everything on there. Uh, we're talking about House of God and the next song, Black Devil. Again, here's another song I give or take. It's also where I notice this album is fairly bland. The drum performance is fairly plain, uh, compared to the previous albums. And that's not to take anything away from John Herbert because I like the I liked his playing on, on Voodoo. Uh, but here, unfortunately, and and when we did when I did an interview with uh, Matt Thompson with uh, Lisa, uh, I think it was last year. I kind of understand now why the drums sound like they are because King has the idea of what he wants the albums to sound like and he gives the drummers what he wants them to do. So I, I put the blame on the drumming performance on King and not on John. So otherwise, uh, it's an okay song. You know, I'm, I'm not crazy about this song. What about you, Ralph? Oh, I love this track. This is my second favorite off it. It has a merciful fate feel to it, like the guitars and changes fit so well. Like what fate does, maybe that's yep. why I like this one, you know, uh, so much. It, it's more straightforward, like classic fate. Mm. It's you know, it's more fate than King Diamond solo, and I dig this song. I mean, at one point it was my favorite, but that's changed. My favorite's coming up, but I love Black Devil. What do you think, Greg? Yeah, this is my third favorite. I love this song too, and exactly same thoughts. You know, it it remind brings up a lot of memories of old fate. It very much sounds like it could have been something around the time of "Don't Break the Oath" and "Spirit." You know what bothers me is the, the tambourine. There's a lot of tambourine on this album, really? <laughs> especially. What, what, what do you guys you got against tambourines, man? I don't know. I just don't like tambourine. You think that's the tambourine and not just the hi-hat? Because that's what I thought it was. No, it's a, it's a tambourine. Actually, was, and I, I read this online, you know, but that's, you know, just people writing it on gen, in uh, in chats and stuff. A lot of people think it's the, um, like the click track and they just leave it in there, you know, because it kind of sounds okay. Hmm. Whether that's true or not, I, I don't know. But uh, yeah, it's a tambourine. And it bothers me. I, I don't like hearing it in King Diamond. Uh, the Pact. Uh, this is my second favorite song on the album. One of the more uh, livelier sounding songs. Uh, and again, as with most of these songs, they're, they're very basic, coming from King Diamond standards. But it works with this song, I think. Uh, I think this is King's best vocals on this album, and uh, some really cool layering and panning effects. If you listen to it in headphones, you hear like some of the things that he says. Uh, you know, going all over the place. And uh, I, I think that's what really makes this song really good. Uh, what about you, Ralph? Yeah, I love it. Some catchy lines, like uh, nothing is forever, she said. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, another straightforward track. And uh, again, cool changes. Uh, Pact is cool. I dig it, man. What do you think, Greg? Yeah, this is another cool one that reminds me a lot of, you know, like, them or conspiracy era with the way it's set up with the different changes and even though 
some of the vocals sound a little goofy. I think it's awesome and it works really well. Uh, Plus, even though you know a lot of it has that sameness to it and a lot of the repeated themes, um, I think this one does a little bit more with changing that up and stands out a lot. Yeah, I think so too. There's been so many songs so far that's been kind of just plain. This one makes things a little different. Uh, The song Goodbye is next. It's just an instrumental. I don't really like it or hate it. Just there. All right. What about you guys? Um, Goodbye. I thought, didn't didn't Goodbye have lyrics now? It does. It does, but it's like nothing. It's not a song. It's like King talks about the wolf broke his heart or something. Yeah, it's yeah. Just him talking. Yeah, it was all right. Yeah, I, I can give or take this one, but you know, it does add colors to the album. You know, it's not so, you know, one dimensional. So I think this is welcome at this point of the album to throw something like this, and I think it's pretty cool as far as I remember. But yeah, it's not like very memorable. But I I think it's all right. We think right. Uh, that I don't really care for it. I mean, it's definitely where it should be in the record. I just feel like they could have done it a little bit better. I mean, his vocals are all right, but it's just kind of there, really. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, there's a lot of parts on this where his lyrics almost feel like he's reading a short story rather than singing uh, lyrics. And this is one of them where it kind of feels like he's just reading to us rather than singing it. But uh, Next song, Just a Shadow. Uh, another song I really like. One thing I will say about this song, is, as well as a few others, uh, you can listen to this song on its own. Uh, you know, Even though it's a concept album, I think it, it really works on its own. You can just list, put it on and listen to it. You don't have to listen to it in the story. But uh, I, I even like with the pack, too, I think that song you can just listen to on its own. So uh, this is a really good song. What about you, Ralph? Yeah, I love the drums on this song. But uh, I got to tell you, man, this is a song where I can very rare notice uh, a problem with the production. Really? Um, it does sound a little off to me. Um, but, you know, um, it's a shame because it's a great song. Um, I dig it. But, yeah, out of all these songs, this is the one where I can see what you guys think when you hear complete albums i'm like yeah it doesn't sound very good but i don't notice it on all the other songs but it's all right what do you think there right this is another one of my favorites it's great it really shows his descent into madness and the changes and a lot of it are chaotic but that flat production unfortunately like you were saying you could notice it here it it robs it of a lot of its power i mean it's kicking off the second part of the story really his descent into madness that leads to all the rest of it. And I mean, the, the drums, especially the guitar work is really great here. Glenn throws out some really thrashy parts, but it, it just, it sounds so flat because of the production. It's almost like it's muffled and it shouldn't sound like that is how I feel. <laughs> mm. yeah. Yeah, that's what I noticed. I said yeah. the song would have benefited with a better sound than it has. Uh, next song, Help. 
this song drives me up to the fucking wall. It, it just it just drives me nuts that it's just a constant same beat throughout the whole entire thing. And it's the same chugging of the guitars, almost throughout the same thing. And except for like I think in the middle, like in the solo or whatever, it changes up a little tiny bit. But then it goes right back to the same beats, and it, I just I hate it. <laughs> I can't listen to this song. Um, now, there are some things I do like about it, though. I like the the harpsichord, but that again, it's very faint in the mix. Uh, I like how he, the, every time he says "help," like that that harpsichord thing comes in there. Um, what else do I have here? Uh, it's just yeah, it's just a very boring song. Uh, my favorite part is at the end where he yells, "I can't take it anymore," and then jumps out the window in the glass shatters or whatever he's jumping out of. So that's that's the only good thing I like about this song. What about you, Ralph? No, I, I'm I mirror exactly what you say. This is like my least favorite on here. It kind of annoys me. Um, and yeah, I never liked. It may be my least favorite King Diamond song overall. Really? Yeah, but it's that bad. <laughs> I really dislike this song. And it's very rare because even songs I don't like from King, it's like, it's all right. Yeah. This one is not even all right. I, I just don't like it at all. Yeah. Help is right. Help, help. Somebody help me add some good stuff to this song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but hey, maybe that was the point of this song because he's, you know, he's going, maybe he's going nuts or whatever. Uh, I, I don't really understand this, this story. Help me. I lost my ability to write songs. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. <laughs> What about you, Greg? Yeah, I don't like this song at all either. You guys nailed it. This is one of the worst things he's ever done. I mean, I don't use the word monotony with King Diamond lightly, but the chugging, the riffs, and even when it changes during the solo, they just up the tempo slightly yeah. and then bring <laughs> it back down. They're not playing anything different. It, nope. it reminds me of that one Metallica song, I Can't Stand on And Justice for All, where they play the same thing over and over, just that same rhythm for four minutes straight. Yeah. I hate when people do that. And then the help with the harpsichord is kind of neat, but surprisingly for King Diamond, I mean, it blew me away. It's really not executed all that well. Right. He, he almost sounds offbeat. It's, it just stops the whole record dead for me. It's a terrible song. The song is terrible, <laughs> not just this place. <laughs> uh, after help, we have Passage to Hell. It's another little interlude thing. Um, I like how he used that same bell in cremation from the Conspiracy album. Did anybody notice that? No, that now that you mention it, yeah, wow, good catch because I, I I didn't, wow. but now that you're saying it, I, I listened to this actually right before we did our episode because nice. I took notes for this like months ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, anybody out there, you know, it's like you're going to complain how long it takes us to do episodes. The reason that it takes us so long because we want to get the vibe of King Diamond with his albums. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Greg? What do you think of this? It's okay. I mean, both of the instrumentals on this, I feel like they're just kind of there. They're they're functional, but neither one of them is particularly interesting. It flows well with it, but it doesn't really stand out to me. Did you notice, like, there's a section of the song that is a blatant ripoff of the song Voodoo? Okay, I thought I was just thinking that because... Voodoo is the most recent album at the time to this, but you heard it too. Okay. Uh, I was like, this is too much like Voodoo. That one part. In Passage to Hell? Yeah. Where? 
Then I didn't hear. Uh, like around 40 seconds in, like really like toward the, the beginning of it. I'll have to hear it again. I, I can't think of it off the top of my head. That's funny. That's cool. Uh, Catacomb. Uh, another song sometimes I like, sometimes I don't. It's fairly plain, but reminds me a little bit of House of God where they slow down the, the uh, for the chorus. Uh, I don't like the section about three minutes in where it kind of like uh, gets all kind of weird and like uh, it just kills the flow of the whole song because he's trying to sing lyrics over it and meanwhile the music's doing something else and his vocals are doing something else. It just It's very... I don't, it just doesn't work for me but this song's okay what about you ralph i love that awesome riff that kicks off the song and i love how the structure in the song it fits perfectly with the story he's telling of finding bones in the darkness below the house of god you know i think it's got an excellent flow of horror and metal you know i'd give it like you know seven out of ten it's not perfect but it's okay i i dig it. there's some certain parts i like way more than certain parts I, that are still good, but it's kind of like an uneven song where really killer parts and then just right. okay parts. It doesn't remain killer the whole way through, but I still, it's still acceptable and I would not press that skip button like I would with uh, whatever the fuck uh, help. that help song. <laughs> help. Uh, that song needed a lot of help. Uh, what about you, Greg? Um, I like this song, especially at the beginning. That's a killer riff. Again, very good guitar parts in it, but it is a little chaotic. I like it. Like Ralph said, seven out of ten is fucking a great rating for it. I think with the story here, he ran a little long hmm. up to this point and then tried to shove too much into the song. And when it goes to convey the mood change of him finding the corpse and all that, it's it just throws it a little off kilter. Because the jump isn't quite right. I mean, it still flows good. It just sounds a little odd towards the end. Yeah, yeah. I like I like the chorus section. Uh, I think that's cool. And then that little guitar thing they do after that. Uh, the final song, <clears throat> "This Place Is Terrible." Um, I like how the song starts out. Uh, very similar with the repetitive beat from "Help," but at least this there's some melodies in, in the guitars on this one. Uh, it's a good ending for the album. The song is kind of all over the place, but it works. It's it, it flow. Everything flows. There's no nothing like out of place, um, and it's very catchy too. And a great uh, ending, like a song ending for this album. What about you, Ralph? Favorite song off the album. One of the most amazing King Diamond songs ever. I think. You think so? Oh, You're on holy eyes. I want to sew them shut. That's fucking epic, man. His uh, vocal deliveries on this track flat out owns, man. You know, and uh, as well as the music, the breakdown between the solo, just flat out skulls. I give it 10 schmackums out of 10 gobs. It's <laughs> fucking amazing. I love it. Great song. Greg? Yeah, I'm going to change what I initially said. This is my favorite song off this record. I love it. I love everything about it. It reminds me of those mid-80s like uh old school heavy metal releases on like ebony records where they were part of the new wave of british heavy metal but not real well known so the rhythms are driving and heavy and simple but they're just going nuts with the guitars and the vocals over top everything it just fucking rocks man great way to end the record and probably his best lyrics on the whole album yeah, yeah they they did definitely save the best for last i think on here so definitely so, yeah uh, there is a tiny instrumental at the end, right? Tiny little guitar yeah. instrumental type thing, uh, peace of mind. 
you know, it's, I, think it's it is I think it's a beautiful, nice, soft ending to a dark metallic album. Yeah. It kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, something you would have heard on the eye. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, there's certain parts of it, certain licks I, that do sound like a continuation of insanity, actually. Right. That was one thing I was going to bring up. Yeah. Yeah. So in all, I mean, I used to not like this album. This would be my the the one King Diamond album I would really never go back to that often. Uh, but you know, giving it a, a, another shot when we first were going to do this episode and listening to it to again uh, today, I'm liking it a little bit more. I, there's still things that bother me about this. Of course, the production is just it's awful. But the, you know, obviously, there's worse out there. But it's not that bad. But uh, it's out of his uh, discography, it's the worst. I think um and i just like help was a terrible song and i just wish this had more energy to it and it could have been a better album but it is what it is uh what do you guys give it out of a out of 10 i'd give it like a solid seven all right what about you greg i'd give it a seven as well it's it's a good record and like I said, for the concept he comes up with that is very, you know, old school type or Lovecraft type stuff, I think it conveys the story and the mood real well and is consistent all throughout. There's just certain things that hurt it, like the production and uh, his insistence on they write the rhythm sections the way they did. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, but... Yeah, it is way. There is only one King Diamond album I can say I don't like at all, and this is miles better than that one. So. Well, would it happen to be the next one? Because that's the one. I, yep. I never listened to it. So what? What Wayne was talking about, like he never listened to this, and now he did. It kind of warmed up a little. I'm hoping that's what happens because I, I, I still have it sealed. You know, I bought the vinyl. <laughs> I, I, you know, I bought the CD first, but you know, I, I'm a completist. But I'm going to unwrap it and, uh, well, I'll take my time because I know it'll take us about, I think our next episode will be out by the time New King Diamond album's out. <laughs> <laughs> but but I'll, I'll open it up and I'll, and I'll give it another fair shot. I, you know what I did the last time I listened to it was I, um, I dropped acid. This is a true story. <laughs> I dropped acid and, and with the lyrics to Abigail 1, I read it all. Then I put on Abigail 2 on acid. I think I made it into three songs. I was like, this is ruining my trip, man. <laughs> Good story. So I haven't heard it since. So, um, so you know, we have to study for the next episode. But yeah, I remember that one I did not like at all. And it, the, it's my least favorite as well. The monotony of help is the entirety of that album, which is a shame because this. The, the sequel story he came up with is amazing, but we'll get to that when we get to it. And I haven't heard it in a good 11 or 12 years. So who knows? I might find something <laughs> I like. Yeah. Hopefully I will too. I'm, I like it a little bit more than uh, apparently you guys do, but uh, we'll find out when I listen to it again soon. Um, anything going on with you, Ralph? Anything you want to talk about? Uh, no, I'm still doing my kick-ass YouTube thing. Uh, the rock and metal combat podcast is a, uh, um back and we're better than ever i think funnier than ever and um that's it oh and i want to start a yacht rock band and play little restaurants and breweries <laughs> my next thing till thrasher die everybody's together and we can focus on the next album 
I want to do something drastically different. So anybody out there watching from South Florida and you like the Yacht Rock, let's uh, let's get together and, uh, you know, just covers. I don't want to write no Yacht Rock songs. I I don't think I'm able to, you know. It's hard to, like, you know, keep that Yacht Rock vibe talking about, yeah, I want to fist you and stuff like that. Because that's where my brain's at. (laughs) I got to keep it with cover songs. (laughs) Hopefully we can uh, make that happen. Uh, uh, what else we got going on? Oh, all right. So we have uh, David Harbour coming up on the interview. It's a, a rather long interview. Um, and it was fun. He's a very nice guy. Um, and a lot of insight on a lot of things uh, with uh, Glenn Drover. Um, some stories about that. And uh, his time with recording the album. And uh, yeah, so watch that. Let us know in the comments what you think about it. And hopefully we'll be back sooner rather than later with Abigail too. Yes. Bang, bang, pizza skulls. Schmackamagob. Schmackamagob. RatsoutReview.com. We will see you guys very soon, hopefully. I'll pay it. I'll pay you for it. What the fuck? (laughs) Enjoy David Harbour. All right. Well, thank you very much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Oh, yeah, man. uh, Thanks for having me. I kind of, I was just wondering out loud, like, why do an interview 19 years after an album? <laughs> <laughs> right. like David Chastain told David Chastain told me the other day that uh, Roadrunner is re- re-releasing um, for those who dare. 30 years, you know, like 30 oh, wow. years old, and apparently they're going to actually listen to us. You know, when we tried to tell them back then, we should use the the mix that we did and they didn't listen to us and they remixed the album. Now they're re-releasing it with the original mix. <laughs> That's ridiculous. They did that uh, with uh, Twisted Sister too. Like I think it was their first album. They had like the best mix and then they redid it and it sounded like crap. Well, yeah. uh, that's what we, ours was mixed by uh, Steve Fontana who did a lot of the shrapnel stuff, you know, mm-hmm. the Racer X stuff and all that. The guy's oh, yeah. great. And that's who we recorded a bunch of stuff with, and they didn't like his mix. We're like, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> like, you know. But anyway, the music business. What can I tell you? Yeah, exactly. Well, again, thank you for coming on, and uh, this is uh, David Harbor. Am I pronouncing that right? Right. Yes. Yes. yes okay. Actually, I know you have a couple of different pronounced... names. So. <laughs> What's that? I said I know you have like a couple of different names. I don't know what to call you. Well, what are the other names you know that I, I have? Well, uh, e- email you 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 put Davel, D A V E L. Oh yeah, this girlfriend of mine. <laughs> <laughs> this girlfriend of mine came up with that, so she coined it. And I'm gonna start using it. The, the uh, Davel made me do it. You know. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know who this. I don't know who this guy is. <laughs> so when, when y'all start talking about it, other people, call me Davel Harbor, and they will be like, "What the fuck." All right, got it. <laughs> I'll put that even on the uh, underneath your picture. I'll put Davil. People will be like, oh, "Who the hell's that?" How did you um, How did you get involved with uh, working with King Diamond? Because uh, you you were in um, uh, Chastain first, right before you joined King Diamond. Yeah, um, that happened. Well, I already knew. I mean, I, I kind of knew King. Because he, I don't know if you know this, but he lives in um, Frisco, Texas, right? Okay. Which is which is outside of Dallas, and I lived in that area and would see him from time to time in clubs and whatnot. Hmm. And I mean, he knew who we were, Chastain, and all that. So 
kind of knew each other. And then the drummer, John Aguirre, that played with Chastain for a while, wound up getting the gig on the Voodoo uh, tour. Okay. And then after that, I think they had... I could be wrong about this. I think they had another album. They Voodoo, and then maybe another album called Spiders, if I'm correct. Yeah, that was uh, his first like comeback album, yeah. And then, yeah, and then after that, they they got rid of um, Chris Epstein's bass player. Right. And John was drumming with them and told King, hey, you need to talk to Dave, and that's that's how I come to be in a band. I mean, he, he invited me over to his house one night, and we drank coffee until about 4 o'clock in the morning. Wow. Listed Damn. Him. Listening to records, you know, just sitting Man. around listening to stuff that I brought that I'd recorded with. I was in this instrumental band at the time that was really kind of, I don't even really know how to describe it. It was kind of like a, you know, it was like Eric Johnson y kind of guitar playing. Hmm. Um, more laid back. It's when I first started really playing a lot of piano. Okay. And. I brought some of that over and hit some killer bass sounds on that, just the demos that I had with me. And, you know, we were sitting around listening to, like, UFO and, you know, Rainbow and Rush and cool stuff like that. And, mm. and he heard my bass playing. He was like, well, this, like, this is what I want, you know? And I'm like, well, cool. So he basically asked me to be in a band without me even auditioning. It was kind of oh, cool. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So, are you originally a bass player, or did you play anything else before that? Um, well, I, I started playing piano when I was a kid. Okay. Um, yeah. So, I've been playing piano off and on my whole life, but, um, yeah, I didn't, I came to the bass late, man. I didn't start playing bass until I was almost 17 years old, you know? Oh, wow. Everybody else has, like, 10 years on me, so. All right, so what was the first band that you ever done that was known, that anybody's known? How about that? That was known? Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, none of them, really. None of them? Okay, geez, all right. Well, let's talk about Chastain. Well, uh, Chastain was, was really the only EP one, I guess. by uh, Manta Ray. Oh, no, not that yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I that, guess yeah, we'll that, leave that one as it is then. <laughs> That happened in the middle of that happened in the middle of Chastain. So yeah, and that's the same drummer that was in Chastain that wound up playing with me and King Diamond. Oh, okay, wow, really? Okay, yeah, yeah. So you guys have been. Uh, I guess you guys are pretty good friends then. Yeah, I mean, we jammed together, and we were actually in a cover band together, um, cover slash uh, original band. Hmm. Um, before I joined Chastain, and then I'm like the, I'm the one who got him in Chastain, but he knew Chastain before I did. See what I'm saying? Oh, okay. Wow. He put me in touch with Chastain, and then I got in Chastain, and then after like I got John in the band through Leather actually, because um, the original Chastain lineup that I was in was less sharp on drums, me, Leather, and David. And then we did, um, David and I did an instrumental record called Within the Heat with okay. Ken Mary drumming. Oh, wow. And then, and then, um, 
we were going to record For Those Who Dare, but he decided to do a leather solo album first. And said, okay. when we started working on that, he asked me about John, and I said, yeah, I'll give John a shot. And so John did that record, and then Chastain asked him to be in Chastain. Oh, wow. But it's weird, you know, because Chastain's got three bands, basically. He's got CJSS, Chastain with leather, and then David T. Chastain, which is instrumental. <laughs> not so, confusing at all. <laughs> no, not at all. I I did I did a lot of instrumental records in you know Chastain and Leather. Yeah. So yeah. House of God. Yeah. All right. All right. So have did you were you able to write anything for the album or was all that stuff written already or how did that uh, all, you know, work out for I you? I mean, I didn't really get I didn't really get to write anything. Um I mean, I had some, they listened to me a little bit about mm-hmm. bass playing, mm-hmm. but <laughs> I mean, I would, let's just put it this way. I would have done, a, I would have done things a lot different, but right. it's not my band and it wasn't my place. So I do what disaster me. Right. Yeah. You know? um, but I mean, it, the, the album, in my opinion, could have been way more interesting, but that's just me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, just me personally, uh, Dave, I really like uh your bass playing in the Chastain records I have and uh I was real disappointed that House of God was always so flat on the low end. Yeah. I mean and I understand they they wanted, you know, I don't know why they wanted what they wanted, but they just did and I kinda knew that going in, so I was just like mm-hmm. oh well, you know. I mean, there were all kinds of places where there could have been some really cool stuff, but with guitars and drums and basses as well. Um, But, I mean, they didn't want to use any of my keyboard ability. I could have played crazy keyboards on that record. (laughs) (laughs) So it's kind of of a drag, man. It's kind of set the tone for my experience. It's like, well, I thought, I I just want to be in a creative situation, you know? That's all it's about to me. I'm, I'm not a rock star. I don't give a shit. All of that, you know, all, all of that talk is cheap. I just want to play the best music I can. So that's always the angle I I go at. I mean, not even Chastain let me play keyboards on any of his instrumental records. I mean, go figure that. Really? But no, no. Uh-huh. I mean, I I don't. I may have played like some simple string patch on something somewhere, but I'm pretty sure he did all of that. Oh, um, weird. Okay. I mean, and, and as far as the King Diamond stuff goes, I mean, I'm kind of biased. My favorite, my favorite incarnation of King Diamond is is um, Abigail, um, definitely them, yeah. and the Eye. I mm-hmm. mean, those records are the, the band was so good. It's like, and when he's you know started changing members so much, it's like they kind of lost their um, the punch that it had. Yeah. Um, but that's just my favorite. I mean, I'm sure everybody's got a favorite area of whatever band they they like, you know. But that's mine with King Diamond. I was like, <laughs> I think that I think that I got to be on the album with the coolest artwork. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, easily, yeah. 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 The artwork, sinister, that. man. Yeah, it's a it's a really cool story too. Right. 
Um, yeah, but it's and it's funny because of you know the story being what it is and dealing with with, with the church itself, the house of God. I'm surprised there were no keyboards because. You know, you're talking about you guys listening to uh, UFO and Rush and all that. We were talking about sure. um, Black Rose earlier and how we could, you know, hear that in there. I'm kind of shocked he didn't kind of add that angle into it a little bit. It seems like it would uh, be perfect. <laughs> yeah, it would have. It would have totally fit. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what, but, was, you know, what was was it something going on during the band at that time? I mean, because. You know, I like the album, but like you know, we've been saying, it's kind of it's more of the, one of the blander albums that he's done in a way. It's got no balls. Yeah. <laughs> well, from from yeah, from my standpoint, it just kind of it. I didn't get a really fair shot at recording, in, in my opinion, because I was, you know, everybody else was. I was a I was working a day gig at the time. Okay. Okay. And I wasn't working just any day gig. I was a technical illustrator for the patent office. So. I'm spending 60 hours a week staring at, at a computer drawing very, very complicated, you know, jet engine parts with, with AutoCAD. And, and by the time, by the time I'm done with that, my brain is fried. Right. Right. And so I would, I would get off work at like six or so in the evening, haul ass, get something to eat, go to the studio and I'd get to the studio, and they weren't they they were there all day long and weren't even done with what they had to do. This was every day, wow. and then so I wouldn't get the I wouldn't get to start tracking until sometimes nine or ten o'clock at night. Wow! And by the time you know you finish a, a piece of music or something, it's two o'clock in the morning. Mm. I was going through oh, sleep man. deprivation, man. Like my eyelids were twitching and shit. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> and I just remember, I just remember pleading with him, going, "Listen, I'm the one who had to, you know, I'm working a, a, a nine-hour day. Is there any way when I get here we can start recording bass and not, you know, listening to the snare drum for the five thousandth time? You know, you can listen <laughs> to that tomorrow morning at at ten when I'm at work. Yeah." And so it was, it was a struggle and, and, um, but at the same time, you know, I just, I, I just loved doing it. I mean, it was so, it was so much fun and uh, I love Andy LaRock. who's such a great player. Right. Um, and you know, and, and I think he wanted me to, to play more. I mean, you, you guys got to also understand that the bass playing you hear with Chastain, that's not necessarily stuff I would have written either. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. I mean, I'm currently working on a solo bass show that literally has more notes than God. I, I played more bass this morning than most people play in their entire life, but that's a whole other freak out thing. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, I mean, I have the ability to do that, but my point is that's not being a musician. You can't just right. piss notes everywhere all the time because it's it just sounds like you're pissing notes everywhere. Exactly. But right. You can be you you can be more creative, and I don't I don't mean that. Uh, playing a lot of notes means more creativity. I mean, sometimes it means playing no notes. Sometimes it means playing one note, whatever. Just be creative. And I just thought that, like you said, the album's kind of bland. It was kind of like a generic approach to everything. Hmm. The guitars, to me, sound kind of like, you know, average guitar sound. The drums sound like they're in a box. Mm -hmm. I I don't know. I just... Yeah, it sounds like a, um, sounds like a, a drum machine or something, just playing like the same kind of beats over and over again. There's just no life to anything on the album, in a way. I, I know. I'll tell you what. That's what uh, I'm saying. Yeah. 
it, it reminds me of uh, the, the original sound of uh, Kisses Hotter Than Hell. It's almost like you guys are in a, uh, a jello mold or something. <laughs> yeah, it was like, it was like, uh, I don't know, man. Everything, they wanted everything streamlined, I guess. And it kind of sapped the energy. There's no real rawness to it. Like, it, like if you listen to, say... Oh, what's a good example? Hmm. I can't really think of. I can't really think of. Uh, he's never had another album that really sounded like that to me. No. You know. The only thing maybe close, maybe like uh, Merciful Fate. Um, you know, one of the newer ones, like Dead Again or something, yeah. is kind of also bland as well. I think. I mean, I'm saying like when you listen to stuff like, like. Um, old Van Halen records. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, even, even old police records or stuff like that, where you can tell these dudes are recording that shit live. Yeah. And yeah. the takes aren't all perfect, but there's so much energy. It's like Van Halen records sound freaking amazing, you know? And then you realize that's just one guitar track, man. That's like just balls. <laughs> that's just, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I just kind of, are you kind of familiar with uh, Andy's, uh, project band called Ill Will. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's my favorite shit he's ever done. That 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 oh, white wow. album with the, okay. the red Ill Will on. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yep. With Snowy yep. Shaw. Yeah. Snowy Shaw, Charlie D'Angelo. That. Yep. You know, I'm listening to that. That he did that in I think '96 or '97, and I recorded. I recorded with them in what 2000, I guess it was. Um. So I'm listening to Ill Will, and I'm going to the studio with the same guitar player who produced. I mean, Andy produced that. Is what I'm getting at. Right. Yep. Wow. You listen. You, you listen to the production on Ill Will record in Andy's studio in Sweden versus the King Diamond record we did in Dallas, and it's just not even a competition. And I, I was in the studio. I might have pissed some people off. I don't know, but I was like, I don't understand why you're not producing. And they, the, the owner and the engineer at the studio is a friend of mine, or used to be a friend of mine. <laughs> but I was like, why aren't why aren't why aren't you producing the record? You know, like like Ill Will sounds amazing. It's just fantastic. Like great. Like you can't do any better for a metal record. And they were just like, ah, oh, well, that's the, that was that record. This is this record. You know, okay. Yeah. Wow. You don't. You know, honestly, man, you really don't know. I do. I do remember this though. Like, I, I don't know if you guys are musicians or play or whatever, or have ever recorded a lot. But yeah, I'm, you had, a, you know I'm, I'm talking. Yeah. Well, then you know that what you're ending up tracking doesn't always sound the same when you mix. Yeah, yeah. You could you could find new energy depending on how well you mix it, or you could kill the energy you had yeah. depending on how badly you mix it. Yeah. Um. I remember this at one point we were sitting in the studio and this is like right at the beginning and they were, they were mixing, they were trying to mix as they go, which is something I do for myself. But when mm-hmm. you do that, you've got to really know where you want to come out at the end. You know, mm-hmm. you've got to really know. And, and it's easy to get off track because you get hearing fatigue and your, you know, day to day, your, your attitude changes and all of that. So like I'm saying, if you don't really know where you want to end up, and you're mixing as you go, then you're going to start second guessing yourself every other day. Right. Yep. Right. Yep. 
And I think a lot of that was going on because at one point, I can't remember how far into the the record we were. I'm pretty sure it's when we were tracking my bass parts. Mm-hmm. But some of the some of the mixes they had going sounded even more um um I don't even know how to what to say. too polished, too FM radio sounding almost. Really? Yeah, and it in and I remember King freaking out and I remember it was like uh maybe the next day he showed up at the studio with like a box of CDs, you know, <laughs> and, he's, and he's like, you know, he's pulling out, he's pulling out. Okay. This is rush hemispheres for Christ's sakes. This is a UFO. This is, and he's got like 10 CDs and they're all listing the different cuts and, and then going back to what we mixed. And he's like, ours is way off, man. Ours is way off. And so he was trying to, I understand what he was trying to do. He was like bringing like, five or six records he really dug and then trying to get a happy medium between all those mixes. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, but but I do remember how it, it sounded too um I don't know, man. I just I don't I don't know what I don't know what band to tell you they sounded like without insulting another band. So <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of it, it it just sounded the the mix just sounded too too big and too warm for the yeah. type of music, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. It was actually, in a way, it's kind of quiet. It's a metal album. It shouldn't be like a quiet metal. Album. It should be like you know, kind of in your face, like the the you know the releases before that or even after this album. Sure. You know, and this album. I wish they'd let me remix it. it. Well, they Andy, remix it. Yeah, they should. Andy actually went and remastered it, but I don't think it helped any at all. You know, there's only really? so much you can do with uh, remastering it. Um, all it, I I bought to remaster because this actually, oddly enough, was the first King Diamond album I ever bought as a new release. But um, anyway, I bought the remaster when it came out. They didn't do anything for the mix. He just made it louder. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Basically, pretty much. But it is what it is. So you can hear it better but it still has that real flat, lifeless sound to it. It's just slightly louder. You know, it's, it's really weird, dude, because, I mean, I mean, my bass player on the record's tight and everything, and, and I played exactly what they wanted and, you know, all of that, but it didn't do anything for me, right? I mean, it's kind of like, I just thought it was kind of boring. Um, yeah. And but yeah. you know here's the here's the weird thing about that dude I've had so many people tell me how how that they think that that's my best bass playing ever and I'm like going well <laughs> thank you um, I don't know what you're what you're hearing in it that I'm not I think it's just I don't, I don't think the playing's bad I think the parts are just generic right yeah They're what just you not... had the what you had to play with was you know you wasn't much. I mean, I can say the same thing. I don't know how familiar you guys are with Chastain's instrumental stuff and all the stuff I did in there, but I played some, like, crazy bass parts on some of that stuff. There's this one guy I know who's an amazing bass player who's actually writing a book about me right now. He's like, oh, really? He's like, he's like, dude, there's this one thing you do on this song. It's like you're sweet picking, and I'm, and I'm sitting there going, I can't remember what the hell I played on that to save my life. And I, I listen to it, and I go, I don't, even, I don't even know what I did. But... <laughs> You know what I mean? Like I can't remember that shit. Yeah. But uh people hear different things, you know, and and 
a lot of the stuff people don't understand with Chastain, like I didn't even want to play some of that stuff. He'd, he'd be like, oh, here's a part right here. I want you to play really fast. <laughs> and I'm like, well, yeah. you know, I showed up for one album that had, it was a, one of the more jazzy instrumental albums. I can't remember which one. I think it was, uh, oh, I want to say it was Elegant Seduction. Whichever one we recorded in Pennsylvania where Queensryche recorded Mind Crime. I know okay. the studio, but I don't. Um, it's in Gladwin, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. KGM Victory Studio. You ever heard of that place? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have. I used to live. It's got in a gym. The reason I remember yeah. it, the reason I remembered it is it's got this like old school 1950s gymnasium off the side of it that is literally everything in there is, is wood that's like 100 years old, right? Mm-hmm. And they use that for a drum room. they put a kit in there and it's like the most live booming crazy wooden floor anyway that's where Queensryche recorded all those killer drum tracks on those records Mm. and so we recorded in the same place that's why I remember the record but anyway I show up at the studio for that Chastain record where this was like the first time that Chastain had said he had just sent me like a like a shitty drum machine track and it Chastain's weird, and I'll tell you how he records. He he puts down a drum machine track, which is god awful to begin with, and then he he records all of his guitars, everything, leads and everything. So at that point you're basically trapped by everything that he's got recorded to a drum track, mm. to a drum machine. And so you have to go in there and sometimes he puts a bass track, you know. But this is the first time, if I remember correctly, he sent me stuff where he didn't he didn't include a bass track, and he basically said, "I want you to do whatever you want, whatever you feel. We'll figure it out in the studio." And it was kind of cool because he was, he was like going, "Okay, go for it, do you know?" And I did. And man, you know, there were some places where, if I could listen to the record right now, I could point them out to you where there's like some shredding bass part that I didn't want to play. It was like I had all this other stuff written that was like kind of like cool chords and finger picking stuff that was kind of like an extension of the guitar part maybe or just kind of took the thing in a different direction. Mm-hmm. And he would be like, well, you know, that's all cool and all, but we really, I really want you to do something fast here. I was like, well, you know, that's great and everything. Don't I do enough fast when we play live? I mean, that's all anybody sees. It's like, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the, the, the Dave Harbor Three Ring uh, Circus. That's all anybody wants to see. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that that's a big reason I never got into a lot of that uh, shrapnel release stuff. The uh, the speed just gets to be too much after a while. Like you were saying about the sure. pissing notes. I mean, some of it's really cool, and I really do like a lot of Chastain stuff. But uh, ooh, some of that stuff it's just like and on. And on and on right. and on. <laughs> it's one. Re- it's it's a reason I'm, I'm not an Inve fan. I never was yeah. an Inve fan. I think the guy's would... a fantastic mu- musician, but I can't listen. I can't listen to the same E minor scale five thousand times. It freaks yeah. me out. It's like, <laughs> you know. Yep. Yeah. I, I'd, I'm a guy I'd that... take Ulrich Roth over them guys any day. I don't know, man. It's like it, it, having chops and all. That's all great, but you've got to. You got to have a lot of other stuff with it to to make the you know the, the chops sort of or to be 
if you do that every song, then where do you go from there, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just that's kind of where I'm coming from, and maybe that's because I studied a lot of other music, and I'm, you know, it's so funny. Like when I was in King Diamond, nobody knew I was a piano player, and a year after that, I put out a solo piano record. It's like, and then and then you know what happened on that one? People mm-hmm. people were complaining that I didn't play enough bass on it. I'm like, do you not listen <laughs> to the piano? <laughs> like, like, what do I got to do, man? Like, <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> can't, can't, can't please anybody, man. Like, I heard people that never recorded a note in their life come up to me and go, oh, you really screwed the pooch on that record, dude. You didn't play your bass. And I'm like, shut the fuck up. Right. <laughs> Maybe you, know? you should just rate the bass real fast back and forth across the piano keys and everybody will shut the fuck up. <laughs> I mean, it's just, you know what I'm saying? You can't look at, yeah. can't look at music like that, you know? Yeah, yeah. No. How boring of a world would it be if everybody played exactly the way everybody else thought they should play? I mean, it does. Oh, incredibly. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, um, Motorhead's a great example. You know, Another Perfect Day, I think that's one of the best albums they ever did. And a lot of it, mostly it's because of Brian Robertson from uh, Thin Lizzy and the way he would play with a groove. But, uh, you know, if it wasn't for that album, nobody would ever thought Motorhead would have sounded like that. But uh, I think it came out great. Sure. You know, I mean, I like everything, man. I like one of my favorite rock bands is ACDC. <laughs> just, they're just mm-hmm. like so, so straight ahead, simple, just, I, I love Iron Maiden. Um, I think Ronnie James Dio can't do anything wrong, you know? Um, yeah. But then there's a lot of other bands that I can't even, I just can't even listen to them, and I don't know what that is. It's just, you know, yeah. I got so much room in my brain for metal because it's, I got so much other shit in there, you know? Yeah. What's the least metal thing you listen to? The least metal thing I listen yeah. to? Yeah. Oh, man. Because I, I look at metal sometimes as more of an attitude than a, a, a sonic quality. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. I think I think there's, there's some people that have written things heavier than anything I've ever read written yeah. in a metal tune. That's true. Yeah. You know, lyrically speaking. So, I don't know. But as far as, like, genres of music um i listen i love reggae um, okay we just did a reggae show i i i honestly i think i'm gonna end up on a beach somewhere you know with a <laughs> just i don't know a, a, an old bass and a, and a pair of flip-flops i really think that's gonna happen <laughs> cool yeah we just did a show We're with uh, about steel pulse okay i don't know if you know totally them cool. yeah i mean i used to be into a lot of I come from a hardcore punk scene, you know. I mean, I I, I was into like you know, the Dead Kennedys and DRI and freaking Fear is like my all time favorite band like that. Mm, <laughs> yeah, um, me too. I love Fear. Um, but the least metal thing I listen to would have to be some obscure like I guess piano player like maybe Harold Butt or something who literally sounds like he's on fucking morphine every moment of his life. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, man. He's like, he's not that good. It's really weird. Like, he's not that good, right? Like, as a technician, as a player. And he doesn't suck. He makes really pretty albums. Mm -hmm. But you can tell there's some places where he's like, flubs notes and shit and just leaves them in, you know, or 
I don't know. I mean, stuff stuff somebody might not really do on a like solo piano is probably the most difficult instrument I've ever had to record. I mean, that separates the men from the boys right there, dude. Because there's no playing bass or guitar in a rock band is nothing compared to that. Because you right, can't, yeah. you typically can't punch in a piano. You've got right. so much ambience built up, and you you can either play it or you can't. And especially when you start talking about stuff that's blazing. You know, it's like going on a tightrope. You fall off of that, you know. Mm. I've made so many mistakes on bass and nobody ever heard them. Right. You, know? <laughs> you, you, you miss one note on the piano, dude, and it's like you took your dick out and shot it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's what I'm saying. I, didn't, I, I don't think I really became a musician until I made that solo piano record because I was just like, I was overwhelmed. I mean, I could play. You know, because I wrote all this music and I rehearsed it and everything. Right. And but until you get in there and you're in a room with just you and a grand piano and like you know a couple of six thousand dollar microphones that are so hot that they can hear you breathing, mm. or they can hear your shirt moving, or they can hear you squeaking your butt on the piano bench, or and they keep stopping your takes because they can hear all of that. It drives you insane, and you start yeah. going. Well, uh, apparently I'll never record this because you know, I can't breathe. I, they told me one time they heard me breathing. I'm like, well, maybe, maybe, maybe is the mic too hot? I don't know. You know, am I supposed to hold my breath for six and a half minutes? Like, how am I supposed to uh, accomplish that? See, and so it just was a shock to my system. And I'm thinking of all of the crazy, you know. I learned the entire David Lee Roth Eat Him and Smile album and played it live like it like I wrote it. And people thought I was the greatest thing since sliced bread. But you try to get wow. me to play two chords on a piano without screwing it up, and that is impossible. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely the most difficult thing. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know. I listen to everything, man. I, I, I even did a stint in the country band for a year and a half, believe it or not. Oh, really? Yeah. I still stood in the back of the stage with a, with a P bass and a baseball hat on. Mm. Yeah. Oh, Freaking okay. amazing. Cool. Freaking amazing. But, you know, I, I don't like country, to be yeah. honest with you. I, yeah. It's the most boring shit on the planet. I, I don't like the blues either. Do we really yeah. need another blues guitar player? I mean, no. <laughs> once, you, once, you're, once you're seeing Stephen Ray Vaughan literally rip the frets out of a guitar, you know, I don't want to hear anybody else tell me they're a blues yeah. man. I'm like, you know. Pretty much. Yeah. This, this, yeah, Eric Johnson, you know. I don't know. No, I don't, they need to come up with another chord progression and, waste, and, and, and use that for the next 60 years. <laughs> yeah. Eric Sardinus is pretty good, though. I like him a lot. He's not really strictly sure, blues. Man, yeah, I'm joking, man. I mean, there's a lot of oh, great, yeah. a lot of great blues players. Oh no, no, that, I know yeah. as a whole, I can't listen to the same type of music that's that repetitive. It's like, yeah. it's like rap. I know so many people that are into like hardcore, heavy rap, and all this stuff. And I was, I like some of it from a, um, like a producer standpoint. You know, the production of it that sounds really mm -hmm. cool how they did that. You know, but, but for the most part, I'm bored. It bores me because it's so repetitive. But having said that, the music I just finished, I did like a three-piece of music EP thing that I'm doing videos for right now. Mm -hmm. The guy that mastered it is a famous rap guy. So, <laughs> and I knew okay. that, I knew that 
that he had more going on. He he would he understood, and and I wanted to get it. I wanted to let go of it. I wanted somebody else to mess with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this guy's got like a track on Jay Z's latest thing, you know. So mm-hmm. it's, it's just a trip, dude. But he knew he listened to my music, and and he was like, "Oh hell yeah, man!" And he just because I mean, this stuff I did's got like so much low end going on and bass guitars everywhere that it's it, it you know gonna be freaky dude you got a name for this yeah. thing yet or is it just under your no, name no i mean it, it's it's like the most progressive thing i've ever done it's uh it was actually supposed to be the second album of a deal i had the first one was a solo piano record and then it was the second record i was supposed to do under contract with this label called maxi media mm-hmm. and that turned out to be an absolute disaster because they didn't want to promote the first record. They spent all kinds of money recording it. And then the owner was a great guy, but I just don't think he's that, you know, knowledgeable on music, you know, had a shit ton of money, but right. you know, why make a great record if you're not going to promote it? I mean, it's just, it right. doesn't make sense. Right. Yeah. Um, and I was under contract to do another record. And then he decided to sell the entire studio and production company, everything. And uh-huh. I just let the contract expire because I had just um, I had just recorded. Uh, you know who Michael Manning is, right? Mm-hmm. Who was that? Michael Manning. Michael Manning. You know who mm-hmm. Michael Manning is? No, doesn't sound familiar. M A N R I N G. No, what's he from? Michael. He's in Oakland. He's a solo bass player, and and people like me consider him the best bassist on the face of the earth. So okay, I'll look him up. That's who he is. Uh, anyway, so I, he, he's a friend of mine and he played on one of my tracks. Okay. And like I said, this was supposed to be my second album under that contract. And, and, and when everything went south with the record label, I would just, I was like, there's no way I'm letting them have these tracks. Mm. And so the contract expired, whatever. I shelved the project forever. Um, and then there was other things that happened to that same project, computer problems, this and that, whatnot. But anyway, um, three years ago, I decided to um, to do it over, to just start okay. over. Um, and I obviously, I still had his track. So I just did three pieces of music and kind of like a very expensive business card, I guess, if you will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because this is what I'm gonna. This is kind of how I'm gonna sell myself from this point forward. When people finally, when I finally release this stuff, when they finally hear it, yeah, this is what it, you know. But it's got a lot of piano, but it's got a lot of bass, a lot of. And I did all the programming. I mean, I play every sound. I play all the guitars, all the basses, all the pianos, all the keys, all the programming, all the mixing, all the editing. When I say solo project, it's a <laughs> it totally like a solo project. Yeah. yeah, not to mention I edited my own damn video, which is about to make the you know the remaining hair on my head fall out. But that's <laughs> Jesus Christ. But anyway, so so uh, so is, do you have a vocalist or anything? Or just is all instrumental? No, this is all instrumental. All instrumental and okay. I kind of did it. I wanted it to gear it towards like the film industry. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely weird, man. It's like. People are always asking me, well, what do you call this? And I'm like, because I've only let so many people hear it so far. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, the best way I can describe it is like, I don't know, man. Peter Gabriel meets King Crimson. Um, okay. With like, okay. with like uh, crazy 
fretless bass and heavy piano. I don't, I don't know. It's like um, it's really orchestrated, and there's a lot to it. Um, and it's as much an engineering. Um, this is as much a me engineering demo as it is um, me playing. I mean, mm. the, I, I didn't really go off too much on bass. Yeah. Um, so it was really written on piano, but there was way more bass playing on it than uh, I don't know the last chest thing I did or the King Diamond for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. Cool. Well, know. you have to you have to send me some stuff if you can. I'd like to hear it. Well, I can't send I can't send this stuff right now, but um, I could send you. I don't know if you heard that solo piano record I did. No, no. What is the name of it? In case anybody wants to look for it, it's called Ideology. Okay, cool. It's David Harbor Ideology. I don't even know if you can even find the copy right now. I'm sitting on probably 400 copies. <laughs> you <don't... laughs> Jeez, okay, seriously. You know, they, you you they, have uh, they... you. How come you don't have like no internet, like no Facebook or anything like that? Because I, I, you know, trying to find you for this interview, you're like impossible to find. Well, that was all part of my my master plan was to like totally leave society and never do that again. <laughs> and then sit on your phone. I was doing TV. good. <laughs> I was doing good. So y'all found me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, you got to understand, man. Like, I I did some shows with Leather two years ago, like, you know, to help get her going again. Mm-hmm. And you know, and nothing against her, but I, I felt underappreciated by by the people that wanted to manage her because. I put together a pretty damn good band around her, you know, at our own expense and promoters from California to Germany wanted us to play shows. And then they wanted us to come play the keep it true festival in Germany. And they didn't want to pay us. They, 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 they told her to tell her band members, meaning me and you know, that, that our plane ticket should be considered our airfare. And I was like, Oh really? <laughs> guess, guess what? Guess what? And in the same, you know, nonsense, a couple of other uh, instances. And I, I, I just talked to her one day, you know, and I, I know it upset her, but I mean, she's my dear friend, you know, I just didn't want to upset her. But at the same time, I don't feel like I should have to play for free for people, you know? Yeah, not at this and, point, yeah. And I, I told her, I said, you tell everybody involved that, that I don't want anything to do with the metal world at all. Mm. unless a, a check clears the bank because mm. you know everybody wants me to play on their record and for some reason everybody thinks they don't they shouldn't pay for it it's like bizarre bizarre world mm. and if i'm gonna if i'm gonna struggle i want it to be all my own music then i'm not gonna you know i, I get people are offering me all the time but there's always oh well you have to move here and do a b c and d and i'm like so <laughs> <laughs> i gotta jump through hoops just to be in your band no thanks you know mm-hmm. and i'm just saying the music business is in a weird state right now man and the, people don't have money to pay for musicians i understand all that right but you know so do you do all your stuff at home or do you go to a studio and, and work like right now, I'm at a studio that I've been working out of, and then I have I have a friend in Austin who's got a really badass studio that's actually being redone right now, and then I've got another friend here who has a home studio. So I'm not worried. Right, I'm not really recording anything right now. Yeah. Um, like I said, I'm kind of hyper focused on this whole solo bass guitar thing, mm. and I'm gonna see where that goes. You know. 
Um, I really need to get my ass back on the piano again because I suck. My chops are like, I played piano maybe three times in the past five months, you know? Oh, and wow. one of those was a recorded session where I, I played four chords and I kept messing it up. So, yeah. <laughs> Well, it's four chords more than I know. It's not a, you know not a piano thing. Like, use it or lose it, as they say. Yeah, pretty much. I, I I play drums. I gave up drums for probably about five years, and then uh, all of a sudden, I talked to a friend, and then we started, you know, talking about playing music again. And you know, of course, I I have to start practicing again. And you know, it, it takes a while to get back into that groove the way you used to be. You know, I'm still oh, trying sure. to get back into that groove. It's it's not easy. Sure, man. No, not at all. And you know, you do have a lot of muscle memory and stuff. You know? Right. Yeah. But. But at the same time, you know, and everybody's different. People, some people pick up faster than others. I teach a lot, you know, and I've seen, I, I've seen people that can barely play an instrument play something amazing, and yeah. and, and it just makes me go, holy hell, how did you come up with that? And then I then I see other people who've been playing for twenty years and they, they can't play Mary Had a Little Lamb. It's like, <laughs> it's just, like everybody's different, you know. Everybody learns at different speeds. Everybody recoups at different speeds, and I try to, you know, I try to always play something, you know. Yeah. Um, but I really, I really have put the piano down for a while, mm-hmm. and that's fine because you know I'll come back to it fresh and all that. But uh, I'm telling you right now, I can't, I can't play the last thing I recorded. So, yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. And I'm not gonna lie about that. <laughs> all right. Well. Getting back to King Diamond, and then we'll finish up here. Um, were you, because uh, you you were only in the band for that one album, and it, I, you went on tour, yeah. right, with them? I did did one album and one tour, and we oh. were supposed to do a North American tour, mm-hmm. and I think that was the beginning of his back problems and whatnot. Okay. Um, we wound up canceling that tour, and after that, I was out of the band, and then I, that's how actually I started doing my solo record then actually. Oh, okay, we were. Did you leave the band, or they kicked you out? <laughs> How did that happen? Well, you know, the the funny thing about it is, is, is honestly, it was a phone call where King said my services were no longer required. Oh wow! But I have heard fifteen different stories as to why I'm not in that band, and not one of them is true. So <laughs> I thought it was funny. I thought it was funny to just never tell anybody anything because. Yeah. The, all the different versions were so more, much more entertaining to me than what actually really did happen. So, okay. you know, I've been Like what? What were some and of I the uh, the things? Oh, I've heard. I, I don't know, man. Just all kinds of things where people <laughs> people say that you know, I did something bad, or they did something bad, or I, you know, I one of them. One of the stories was something about some woman that. Some club somewhere that supposedly said I came on to her in the cab ride to the club, and I'm going. I don't even know. I don't even know what city. I can't even remember what city we're talking about here. There were so many different things, man. There's like a sound man, the monitor guy for for King hated me because I stopped him from molesting a 17 year old girl one night. You know. <laughs> 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 So, so you're the one I they got, want to I fire got, and get rid of because you're trying <laughs> trying to stop all that stuff. Blamed. Our sound man one night trashed a hotel room in Montreal, and I got blamed for that because he had a party in there, you know. 
Mm. And it was just shit like that, so you're just like, <laughs> okay, you know. They, didn't, what they also didn't like. They also didn't like the fact that while we were touring, I was on the phone discussing my solo contract. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess maybe that could be one. <laughs> I mean, I mean, honestly, I, like I said, I love King Diamond. I've, you know, I've heard stories about see King and the this engineer that he used to work with. They had like this big time falling out, mm-hmm. and and then the guy, you know, I'm friends with him too, and it was always like he was trying to 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 you know, I wound up being the middleman. Like I'm still friends with King and him and I'm having to hear it. Right. <laughs> so, and I just like, don't want, it's none of my business. I wasn't there whenever they had their little falling out. It had to do with, with, uh, the sound man's, the engineer's wife. Right. Um, and I really don't know. I only know what the, I only know what the engineer told me. And I'm not the kind of guy that repeats shit unless I know it's true. So yeah. I'm not going to say anything, yeah. but anyway, point is, is like, one of the things was um, after the tour and after I was out of the band, King invited me over to the house one night and two of my sisters came with me and we sat around on the floor listening to music all night. Like, no big deal, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. And then so I, he- I hear after that that, that uh, this guy, I guess he was trying to turn me against King, was going around saying, oh, he hates you, man. And I'm like, really? Why would he invite me over to his house if he hated me? Like, <laughs> none of it ever ever made sense is what I'm getting at. So I yeah, just, yeah, whatever. Yeah. It's all, it all sounds rather childish to me. Wow. So yeah, that's crazy. Adults, I guess it's, for so-called adults that are so metal. Yeah. So I can... <laughs> So I guess, I guess like the uh the you know the back back scenes of uh, the King Diamond thing was kind of crazy all that nonsense. What do you mean? I don't know, it just sounds like uh people just trying to stir shit. Oh yeah, there's like I said, man, it's just everybody, I don't know. But I guess like, that's the, that's guy, like a t- that's a typical Go ahead. I just don't think that that, that some people Let's just put it this way: some people just require a lot more attention than others. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, like one night, one night I flipped out on uh, on Glenn Drover, the other guitar player. Oh, really? Because <laughs> please, please tell. We I'll tell playing... you about this when we uh, close the show. Why you flipped out on him too? No, uh, no. He deserves <laughs> it. Almost, but, he deserves uh, yeah. it. But yeah. No, oh, come on! You were going to tell me. What are you going to tell me now? Well, I don't want to record that part. All right, I'll tell it. You know what? I'm going to tell it because it still aggravates me to this day. I'm trying to get true, probably. It is true, but uh, you know, I'm trying to get people to come on this show to get interviews like you and you know everybody else. I'm trying to get people from every album. You know, at least one person. You know, so he was one of the ones I first ones I contact because he's easy to find online on Facebook. So I contact him and, and he writes me back. I'm, you know, I'm a little surprised because, you know, a lot of people don't write me back, but um, he did. And he goes, okay, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll be part of the show, but let me know when everybody is on to do the show. And I said, all right, fine, whatever. So I got Michael Denner. He, he confirmed and we ended up doing a show with him and I got Snowy Shaw and um, who else? A couple other people confirmed or whatever. So then I, I figured, all right, let me write him back to let him know some people are coming on and, you know, he can let me know a day to do it. So I did that. And then he like um, he says, OK, confirm when everybody is able to do the show. And I'm like, all right, I just told you some people that are going to do the show. You know, what's the problem here? 
And then he just writes right. me back like a stupid answer. Like he just goes, uh, eggs. He, he wrote eggs. Eggs. And then and that's flowers. It. Yeah, just <laughs> like stupid. What? Just eggs. The word eggs. The word eggs and then the word flowers. And that was it. Yeah, and it was just like nonsense stuff. I'm like, all right, what the hell is this? I'm just, you know, I just want to get an interview. Why is this such a, a problem? And then he just now you know now you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. But then well, Wayne Wayne asked him like what his problem was and what that meant, and he just went off on this tirade about how your show is nothing and blah blah. blah. Yeah, it was, just a, it was like ridiculous. Fuck? Either you don't want to come on or you do. Like just say yes or no. Like it wasn't that big of a deal. Well, Glenn Drover started as nothing and probably nothing now and you know he's going to end up as nothing i mean what you know well that's what that's what i <laughs> wanted <you>. uh, <laughs> i wanted to i wanted wayne to tell him tell him that's okay i feel bad that he'll never be better than dave too <laughs> <laughs> man you know glenn's just a weird dude man he he uh the reason I flipped out on him one night is it was already tense. You know, his brother was drum teching, you know, and, uh, and I don't know, dude, like when I wake up in the morning in the hotel room and I want to go eat, I want to go eat then. I don't need to, to primp and do my hair <laughs> and go to the mall and buy some socks and all that shit. I want to go eat. Okay, <laughs> I was constantly fighting with them about this. I'm like, they were like, just wait, just wait. I'm like, dude, you guys like, like, you know, I don't know what what you're doing. Like, we could have eaten, come back, and then you could go to the mall, right? So it was always just like freaking nonsense, you know, being a, cooped up on a tour bus with somebody. And so I just started doing my own shit on my own. And so then they, they said, well, you don't even want to be part of this band. You're just a loner. I'm like, no, when I want to go eat, I'm going to eat. I'm not waiting for y'all anymore. It's like <laughs> stupid. It's like you're blaming me that I'm hungry now. <laughs> I'm not waiting for you to do to do your hair. That's just, sorry. I'm not that guy. And so, yeah, I just assumed punch you in the fucking mouth and talk about it, you know? Yeah. So then I, I said, uh, one night, dude, this is, so, this is so great, man. This is so great. So we're on stage, right? Yeah. And and it, it, the we had these baffles in front of our rigs on either side of the drum kit. So you had to go behind the baffle to get to your rig, you know? Mm-hmm. Whether it ranged back there with extra guitars and whatnot and our, our guitar techs and whatever. And so me and Glenn had the same guitar tech and our rigs, we shared the same side of the stage. So our rigs were back there together, right? Right. Now this is in the middle of a show, dude. Okay. Yeah. This is in the middle of a show. So we're playing, and we're almost to the end of this tune, and King like runs face first into my bass and hits the the, my, the tuning keys and knocks my bass so fucking far out of tune I couldn't tell which string was out of tune. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm trying to. I'm trying to play the rest of the tune on the A string, which I think was the only string in tune. And I was just like, this is just like fucking bad. This is bad. And, and so the, the song ends, the song ends, and I grab King around the neck and I whisper in his ear, I'm like, you need to talk for a minute. You knock me out of tune. And I, I walk behind the baffle to tune my fucking bass, and there's Glenn standing in front of my rig 
with his hairdryer plugged into my power supply, blow drying the back of his fucking hair, dude. And I couldn't see my tuner. And I just said, dude, get out of the way. And he goes, give me a second. And I just said, get the fun. Like, I... I'm sure they heard me, dude. I'm sure there was a microphone somewhere that heard me over that TA yelling him, dude. And so ever since then, it was like, that's probably why I'm not in the band anymore for all I know. But I'm just saying, it just, I just couldn't take it anymore. The dude's drying his hair in front of, you know, in front of my rig, where, you know, during the show when I'm out of tune. I was pissed, dude. must, Must be a Canadian thing. I don't know. Nah, man, there's lots of cool Canadians. (laughs) <laughs> All right, except for him. <sighs> you know, they're not bad about playing either, but, but they, they pissed me off so bad one night because at one point I felt like I knew the music better than everybody that had been in the band three years before me. Because <laughs> we kept making mistakes on stage and they were they were drilling me one night about, well, you're standing in the wrong place on stage. I'm like, well, why don't you put a fucking X on the ground? <laughs> you know, get some duct tape. Get some duck. I said, no one's ever discussed with me where I'm supposed to stand on stage in my entire life. I'm a very active player. I played with Chastain. I was all over the fucking place. Yeah. You know, I don't, I'm not a, a statue. Right. You know, sorry. I like to play. I like to move around. I like to look at people. I like to mess with the audience. It's all fun for me, whatever. Right. So I said, if you don't like that, if, if, if you don't like that, put an X on the ground and I will literally stand on that fucking X, you know, and you know, because I'm a, I'm a no bullshit person, dude. You know, I'm I'm somebody yeah. who like I, I've spent eight hours a day for you know twelve years practicing Mozart. Do not fuck with me. I, right. Yeah. I, right. Yeah. That's okay. just hard, and I take it very seriously. Yeah. Anyway, so so it's stuff like that to where you're just like, are we a rock band or 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 what are we? What are we doing? Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. So I don't know, man. I don't know what to make of all that. Wow. I just wasn't a, I just wasn't a good fit. I don't think for the band, you yeah. know. Yeah, it's the, they kind of wanted more of a corporate guy to the to the line, you know. Make sure you dress metal all the time, and yeah. Mm. If I could have wow. gotten away with wearing a Madonna T-shirt on stage, I would have done it. So. <laughs> <laughs> now that bass with the king running into your bass is that like the worst thing that's happened on uh, one of the live shows, or is there anything else that was worse? Diamond? Yeah. With King Diamond? Yeah. Uh, no, I mean we had we had three. I I think we had good live shows. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, man. I dug I dug playing that music with that band. It was so yeah. much fun, dude. And mm-hmm. they're all great. It's just it was cool, you know. Yeah. Um, but I've done worse shit than that. I've fallen. I, I took out half of the drummer's drum kit one time tripping oh, really? backwards. That was ah. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad that. I, I hope that's not on film anywhere. <laughs> well, um, it was on YouTube. Was that in Chastain? No, that was in a band. That was in a cover band before Chastain, actually. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. The drummer. Yeah, it was yeah. actually it was the same drummer. Now that I think about it, it was John Abair. Oh, I wow. fell. I took out half of his drum kit. <laughs> we we're playing some like Racer X shit, you know. And I tripped over the drum riser backwards and took out the took out like the ride cymbal, the floor tom, you know, maybe a crash cymbal. <laughs> there I am laying in, in you know my bass feeding back, just like my head bleeding from the cymbal. It was great. Wow, that's too yeah. funny. Do you still talk to John? What's that? Do you still talk to John? From time to time. Yeah. I haven't I haven't talked to him in a while. Yeah, I tried to get him on too, but he said he works crazy hours, so I don't know. He, he's, he's, married, he's, he's married with children. Yeah, he says that too. So, you know, he says um, 
he wants to do it, but he just doesn't have the time. So, yeah, yeah. I right. think what else? I, w- I didn't want to use a wireless because of my experiences with wireless systems. Oh yeah, that's what I was. That's what I was getting at one night. You know, they were always they were always fucking with me. I was always trying to find something wrong with my plan or something wrong with this or wrong with that. And one night I said. I think I said, you know what? This is when I ended all those conversations. Like, I got. I said, I have a great idea. Let's tape every show and then listen to it and critique <laughs> it on the bus after that show. And that is the last time they mentioned anything to me about any of that because you want to hear guitars, whammy bars bending notes out of tune, and vocals being off pitch, and drummers yeah. dropping beats because it's all there, dude. <laughs> There's all. There's old dumb Dave on the bass, just like chugging away, going, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Wow. Well, I gave, I'm glad you gave us some uh, the back insight of some of the uh, live shows because we haven't gotten any of that story, any of those stories yet. So that's pretty cool. Oh, there was some great stuff, man. Iggy Pop came and saw a show in oh, Florida. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the same show where a porn star was calling a statement. That was a good one. Oh, nice. Uh, <laughs> See, there was another. Yeah, this, I met this porn star. I can't even remember her name. It's a blonde-headed chick. Like I'm sure you've seen all of her films. She, she was at a, at a bar in, in was in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and we invited her and one of her her friends to uh, the show. You know, and she was telling mm-hmm. me, "Oh, I want to hang out with you after the show." And I'm like, "Hey, that's cool. I want to hang out with you too." And whatever. So we're sitting there during the show, and she's back. I can see her back at the mixing console with our. With our, I told her, "So just go hang back there with Martin. You'll be out of the out of the way and everything, you know." Mm. And we play the whole show, and we get up near the near the end of the night, like maybe doing encores or something. And mm. the next thing I know, she's she's standing down there in front of me, and she's flipping me off. And I'm like, "Is Chip joking?" Like, and then she was like cursing, like you couldn't hear her, but because we were so loud. But King's like, she's like. Oh, is this the girl you're gonna hang out with? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I don't, I don't know now. And then, and then, like, we stop playing, and she starts like screaming, you know, bunch of fucking Satanist baby killers and all of this shit. And I'm just looking at her like, what? Oh yeah, dude, she was, she went like berserk, you know. And then, and so anyway, she uh, she tried to come backstage after the show, and the, and like the security, you know, drug her out of there. Right. Some kind of way she got. Away from security, comes back in there, kicks our door open, runs in the dressing room, starts yelling at us and everything, and they came and drug her off again. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there going, it's always me, man. <laughs> I, I can really pick them, you know? Yeah, right? Baby killers. This is funny, <laughs> funny stuff, man. Wow. Yeah, who'd have thought you'd find the one porn star with a hang up? <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, my God. Yeah, don't you blow people for a living anymore? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. Everybody's crazy. All that stuff's so crazy. I had a guy almost pull me off the stage in Massachusetts, grabbed me, grabbed me by my arm, um, pulled me to where I fell. I fell into my monitor and hit my base on the monitor and made this gigantic loud ass sound, you know? Yeah. And I got freaking pissed, man. And I, I just, couldn't get he wouldn't let me up i couldn't he had me by the arm and he was pulling me like he was trying to pull me off the stage wow and some kind of way some kind of way i got my arm away from him and he's right there in front of me and i just grabbed i mean this is live this is king diamond standing next to me Mm. i grabbed this guy by his shirt collar and shook him like a freaking doll 
And I got, I got King grabbing me by the shirt, trying to pull me backwards. And I'm looking at the guy like, I don't fucking see you after. I was mad. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going, oh, this is great. So after the show, I'm on the tour bus. And everybody's like, dude, what the hell was that? What happened? I'm like, I'm like, the dude almost pulled me onto my face off of like a five foot stage, you know, with my face and everything. I said, I, I kind of got this, you know? Mm. And uh, King Diamond looks at me and goes, you know, we're not supposed to hit our fans. I'm like, I didn't, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't, I didn't hit anybody, dude. Jesus Christ. So, so either the, way, you shouldn't have started it. <laughs> well, yeah, but then I'm, so I'm sitting on the, I'm sitting on the bus, and there's this like whole crowd gathering outside, and and Mike, our security guy, goes, man, that dude's outside and wants to talk to you. I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. So, <laughs> I. I walked down the steps of the bus, right? I'm still standing on the last step of the bus, right? Mm-hmm, I'm right. like, I'm like, I'm like right at six feet tall. This guy was almost taller than me and I'm on the step. And I was like going, and he was huge. I'm like, this guy's going to kill me. Like, beat my ass, right? <laughs> and he starts, he starts talking. And he was almost crying. He was like, dude, like, I'm totally sorry, man. I don't know what I was thinking. I didn't mean to do that. And blah, blah, blah. And when I realized he was like, sorry, then it's when I was like, all right, dude, well, fuck you, because. (laughs) 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 But it was, it was cool, man. We wanted, we wanted having a beer afterwards, you know? Oh, that's good. That's cool. That's funny. That's great. I have so many, I have so many freaked out stories like that, that they all start coming back here for a while. Like, (laughs) all right, give us one more. If you can think of one quick. From the tour, yeah, or anything. What about even uh, even in the studio? Anything crazy happened in the studio besides King bringing all his uh, his album collection in? Happened in the studio. No, oh, okay. So when we were recording in Dallas, this weirded me out a little bit. Um, the studio is like in a in an office park. You know what I mean? Like it's not on mm-hmm. the street front or whatever. It's kind mm-hmm. of back in a little area, and. Uh, Man, we show up at like it's like nine thirty in the morning. I think it was a Sunday, Saturday or Sunday. I know it was one of those days because I wasn't at work. And uh, and some fans, dude, had come to the studio overnight and left all of these gifts. Yeah. Right. So there's like all this shit packages wrapped up and outside of the. <laughs> Outside of the studio, and it was crazy stuff like little little dolls and shit. And like, uh, you remember that like stupid? I guess it was called the soap opera. I think it's from the seventies about the vampire called Barnabas Collins. Oh, or, Dark or, Shadows. Or, or, really? no, yes, Dark Shadows. That's yes, it. Yep. Some one of these dudes had left the, like the Dark Shadows LP album. You know. Like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget that. I remember. I remember standing outside with King, looking at all. I'm going, "What are you doing with all this crap?" He's like, oh, "I don't know, man." <laughs> <laughs> it's like there's all kinds of crap, dude. There was people and one guy in in. Uh, oh, where the hell were we? I think we were, we were in Montreal or Toronto, and uh, you know we could see from our hotel. I was like on the second or third floor. Of this hotel, and I could see our bus parked in the parking lot, you know? Mm-hmm. And it was pouring raining this night, and some dude, man, some dude goes out there at night, like, like dressed like in a Civil War 
outfit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, like a cavalry outfit or some shit. Like, and he's got like, uh, I think he had like a, like a plastic bag with a bunch of different albums for King to sign or whatever. Mm. This is sat out here all night. In the pouring rain, like it, fucking, oh, no. it was, a, it was a monsoon, yeah. and I remember, I remember coming back from a club and looking out the window, going, "The dude's still out there, man!" Like, what's going on? <laughs> go out, go out there the, the next day, you know, and the dude's soaking wet, and we're trying to leave, and he's freaking sees King, and he's just like all crying. Oh, There's a lot of crying. <laughs> <laughs> we, it was a show we played in. Uh, and that was the day he thought, huh, maybe I should join Venom instead. <laughs> like, every time I think I'm nuts, I witness some stuff like that, you know? Yeah. So, there was a show we played in, uh, I think it was Cincinnati, maybe, or, or Milwaukee. It was Milwaukee because it was a hockey arena. And, and um, it was like a metal fest. It was like, you know, 20 bands or something. Yeah. Anyway, so it was about time for us to be on. Well, where the between the stage and the and the dressing room, there's like this holding room, like a meet and greet little room. Okay. You know, and people with backstage passes or whatnot go in there. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so uh, me and King were the last two people in the dressing room. You know, and I'm sitting back there in my base, just kind of warming up, and and uh, talk, we're just talking, and everybody else had already gotten and went and got on stage, and our uh, our monitor guy comes back knocking on the door going, come on, y'all, we got to go. So Yin King come walking out of this little dressing room, and the only two people in this little interim room before the stage, before the backstage, was these two dudes. And they saw, they saw me and King, dude, they come up to us, and they got down on their knees in front of us like they were bowing down to us. <laughs> and I'm going, what is what is this all about? He's got one by the shoulder kind of going, come on, man, stand up. And this guy... He was just like, I don't know, dude, like overly emotional. I'm going, do they not realize that, that we're just dudes that eat shit and sleep like everybody else? I mean, it's a, I, yeah. I just never understood that whole thing, you know? Yeah. And neither did I. I mean, I, I, of course, I'm a you know huge fan of King Diamond, but, you know, I'm not going to go, you know, stand out waiting for him to come out of the bathroom to get an autograph or something, you know, crazy like these right, people right. have. It's, it's just, hey, you well, know, it doesn't I, make sense. I've had you know? some, I've had some, some you know, big time rock star moments in my life, but I've never, most of the time I'm completely oblivious and don't even know. I, I stood and talked to Steve Perry from Journey one time for 30 minutes before I figured out who it was. <laughs> really? <laughs> I was just talking to the dude. Wow. And I'm just so, I'm so stupid. I'm like, oh, wow, you're fucking Steve Perry. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about, I don't even know what the hell we were talking about, you know? He's like, yeah. was, I played with Tony McAlpine at one point. I don't know if y'all know that, but. Oh, yeah. We, we did a fundraiser for um, Randy Rhodes' mom when she started oh. that music school okay. called Musonia. Uh, and uh, that sounds right. Yeah, it was in LA. This was in like '91, '92, and uh, it was like a who's who of anybody that was associated with Ozzy Osbourne or Randy Rhodes. You know, mm. and it was a really cool. It was a really cool benefit. A lot of cool players were there. Um, I mean, Rudy Sarzo was using my bass rig. Let's put it that way. You know, right. Billy Sheehan, uh, Paul Gilbert, the guys from uh, Steve Lukather, you know. Oh, uh, wow. Blue Sound, Blue Sound Remember that guy? Yep, um, yeah. Tons of cool 
tons of cool musicians, tons of cool players and everything. And yeah, Steve Perry just came there during sound check just to like say hi to Tony because they were friends, I guess. And Tony's like, hey, Dave, uh, this is my friend Steve. Steve, this is Dave. And I'm sitting there, you know, just, you know, with my girlfriend. And, I, and I'm not even, you know, I didn't know Steve Perry was four feet tall, dude. Who knew? I didn't know <laughs> and he, he cut all his freaking hair off. I didn't recognize the guy. He was the nicest dude in the world. He's talking to me about, you know, being in bands and stuff. And I'm like, well, yeah, you're in a band. All right. Jesus Christ. You know? <laughs> But I mean, I would never, you know, fawning over people. It's just like, dude, it's ridiculous, you know. Yeah, I'll tell you, you want to hear, you want to hear a rock star moment that I've told maybe ten people about. Like, sure. this is really, this is hilarious, dude. This has to do with King Diamond Tour, dude. So we go play Austin, right? Mm. And we, um, our show, they canceled our show. Our our manager canceled the show because of some messed up thing between the contract with the venue and us mm. and so all of our opening bands like shadows fall and the other ones decided to play the show anyway right mm. so we didn't play and we were off that night and i know these two chicks that drove down from dallas to see the show they were actually staying at our hotel room i mean at our hotel um they were strippers and they were like they saw us in the parking lot and i said well the show's canceled sorry man you know mm. they're like well um if y'all aren't playing, then we're going to go, we're going to go dance tonight at this club in Austin called Sugars, a strip club. Hmm. And I was like, all right, well, cool. You know? And so I went to the venue anyway to kind of support Shadows Fall and the rest of the dudes. Mm-hmm. And nobody wanted to go with me. Like I was the only one, no sound man, no, you know, really? nobody wanted to go. Um, so I go there and I'm by myself and I'm sitting at the bar having a beer, waiting for Shadows Fall or whoever to start playing. And whoever the bartender guy was there recognized me and he goes, yeah, dude, you and your band kind of fucked us over tonight, you know? And I'm like, hey, dude, I got nothing to do with any of that. He goes, well, you're in the band. And I'm like, well, yeah, but I don't have anything to do with contracts. And you know what I mean? Like, it's not up mm-hmm. to me. I wanted to play the show. They only canceled the gig, you know? Yeah. I think at that point, maybe even King doesn't have anything to do with it. I don't, I have, I don't even know what the issue was. It had something to do with they didn't have the right um pa requirements or something like that so who knows hmm. so the guy kind of gets pissed at me and and i'm going well i'm not going to stand here and, you know give this guy money at, his, at the bar i'm going to leave and i'm thinking oh there's two girls are in town i'm going to take a cab over to the titty bar and just go hang out <laughs> so i go across town to the strip club to see if i can see the two friends i have and and daring them and sugars it's like a friday or saturday night it's completely full of people and I'm sitting there by myself at a table having a beer like a creeper by myself. Got nobody I'm not talking to anybody, <laughs> you know. And I'm like, I'm like going, and then I don't see these girls. And I'm like, well, this is bogus, you know. So I, I finish the beer. I get another beer, and I get about halfway through that, and I'm like, I'm gonna leave. This is crap. And when the chick comes over, I'm like, I need my cab. And so I'm just, just, just speaking to how oblivious I am to people, right? Right, and and then more importantly, is how stupid I am of not knowing I could say something really cool, and she. <laughs> so, so I get up to go take a leak while she's going to get my cab. I go in the bathroom, and I'm standing in this two urinals, and there's another dude standing next to me at the urinal. We're both dressed exactly the same: black jeans, black shoes, black black combat boots, black t-shirt. You know, sleeves cut off. I got spiky black hair. He's got spiky blonde hair. And I'm sitting there peeing. 
And I just kind of, I'm looking at him, something oddly familiar, and he's looking at me, and I'm looking at him, and he looks me right in the face while we're taking a leak. And I just looked at his face, and I went, you're Sting. And he goes, yeah. And I'm just like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like standing there, pissing with Sting, dude. And then he flushes the frigid toilet and walks out, and I'm in there going, wait a minute. That's like, you know, just, Who's in the bathroom stall? Amy Winehouse? And you're like, this is really weird, right? <laughs> so I go walking back out to my table, stunned that at what just happened. And this chick still hasn't come back to my tab, so I'm sitting there drinking the second half of my beer. And I realized I'm sitting five feet away from him and the trumpet player. And I've been there, they've been there all night. Wow. And I just didn't even see them or recognize them, right? Yeah. So I'm sitting here going, and now, now I'm paranoid. Now I'm going, okay, so now this guy thinks I followed him out of the bathroom. I'm just here, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like sitting there going, God, I just like want to leave. So the chip comes back, my cab, I cab, and I get the hell out of there. I get in the cab, and I'm driving across town, and I'm just sitting there going, that is bizarre, man. That was Sting. What, what is Sting doing in a city bar in friggin' Austin? And then he hit me that that was the same night if he was on tour with the, the, his album, whatever the, the album was at the time, and here's, here's how stupid I am. Are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. Y'all know who Michael Harris is, the guitar player? Yeah. The shredding guitar player? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, about six months prior to that, I did an instrumental ra- record with Michael Harris, and the drummer on that record was none other than Keith Carlock, who was drumming for Sting on that tour. And I was too stupid to remember that fact or even bring it up because <laughs> wow. I just like it, it totally eluded me. Like, I bet you if I would have said, hey, man, you know, pleasure to meet you. By the way, where's Keith? I just did a record with him. He might have said, yeah, man, sit down and have a drink. You know, like, I wish I could tell you a better story. Like, I got to hang out with Sting, but I'm too yeah, stupid yeah, for that. Well, <laughs> yeah. At least I got the so, piss with him. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's about the biggest rock star moment in my life right there. That's, the next thing. <laughs> that's pretty fucking funny. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Well, it's almost here. Yeah, we almost did like an hour and a half, so let's wrap this up. I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Oh, I appreciate it, dude. Yeah, I'm right. kind of, yeah, I'm kind of... I didn't even realize, dude. I guess... Yeah. No, I hey. Got a jet, I got a jet to myself in a bit. All right. Well, we'll end this quick. Uh, I just want to know... Um, what what song got you into King Diamond since you were a fan? Oh, well, that's a funny King Diamond story, too. Oh, okay. I uh, told him when he, uh, I told you about the night that he asked me to come over and he wanted to listen to some stuff that I'd been recording or whatever. Hmm. And then, you know, he basically says, well, as far as I'm concerned, you're in the band. And you know what night it was? It was, it was that 9999. They're supposed to be. Remember that night where everything was we're all supposed to die like a black death or something. Really? Yeah. (laughs) The great witch night of of whatever. That was the night that he asked me to be in a band. How creepy is that? Yeah. Cool. We're sitting there. We're sitting there that night, and uh, you know he's telling me all of this stuff. And I said, I said, I'll join the band on one condition. He goes, what's that? I said, we have to play Invisible Guests or I'm not going to be in the band. He goes, it's the second song of the night. I'm like, oh, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> so that's probably, awesome. I don't know if that's the, I don't know if that's the, I mean, my first experience with Tim Diamond was um, Merciful Fate, you know, mm-hmm. years yeah. ago, like in 80, 
87 San Diego, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, I don't know, dude. I really love that Them album. I just thought it was great. Yeah. I still do. Every time I hear it, I'm like, wow, it's really cool. But yeah. So what was the, the Merciful Welcome Fate? Home. What was the first Merciful Fate song that got you into them? I can't even think of one, really. I mean, I just, I just always liked... Um, I've always liked that type of metal. I was mm-hmm. a huge early Iron Maiden fan. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I love I love Sabbath. Um, Sabbath is one of my favorite bands of all time. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just, they're just a good band, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. That's why we're doing the podcast. <laughs> At least two of us. Two of us like them. Yeah. All right. Uh, favorite song off of House of God, if there even is one. Um, man, you know, honestly, I'd have to really listen to it again to say that. I kind of remember liking The Hills Have Eyes a lot. Okay, yeah, the intro. That's uh, a good one. First song, yeah. Um, I don't know, there's some, cool, there's some cool stuff on there, but, you know, I mean, again, I, I just... I didn't, you know, it's really weird, man. Like I, I like, I, I loved King Diamond so much back in the day that I didn't really feel like, like we were doing a King Diamond record. It just it never felt no. like that to me. Right. I didn't, you know, it's, it's like, it never hit me. It never hit me that I was in his band. Mm. You know, like I'm hanging out with him. I'm going over to his house. We're in the studio. We're doing all of this shit yeah. until we, the first, even rehearsing, I didn't even think about it. But yeah. when we, we're on stage for the first time in Sweden at the Swedish Rock Festival, and we, you know, open up with Welcome Home, and he comes walking out with this freaking the bone microphone. I'm like, holy shit, I played bass for King Diamond. It was like, <laughs> <laughs> well, probably because, you know, he doesn't wear the makeup and everything while he's recording, right? Or less does he well, to he, get in the mood. <laughs> he, wears it, he wears it when he mows the lawn. Um, <laughs> okay. Wouldn't that, wouldn't, that be a, cool, wouldn't that be a trip? You should do a video like that. Yeah. yeah. We'll actually open the show with that. Good idea. Just mow, mowing him the lawn, stopping the lawn, in the middle of mowing the lawn and yelling at the paper boy. Yeah. Yelling, Grandma! Yeah, with a, with a freaking tape on and everything. It'll be awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, very cool. Well, is there anywhere anybody can go to see like any um, anything that you've done? Like, do you have a website or anything where they can buy some of those no, albums what, that you that's have? That's what I was going to tell you. Uh, you were asking me earlier about Facebook and all that, yeah. um, and without wasting your time and getting too into it, I used I I had a, a stalker uh, years ago, like in '09, I think, and he was another musician who turned out to be like. It was a guy. I wish I could tell he was a hot chick from Germany, but no, it was a guy. I had a guy stalker. And uh, he uh, he doesn't know how close he came to having the law involved, but he creeped me and, and a bunch of people out on social media. Like, he was stalking not only me, but them, trying to find out information about me. And uh, anyway, that's a whole that's a whole other story with a lot of legal implications in it. That's why I won't, won't say much. But anyway, um, so it was after that, uh, I got off of Facebook about a year and a half ago, I guess, maybe two years ago, where mm-hmm. I thought it was happening again because, you know, you can have fake identities or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and I got hacked like twice where my account got really jacked up. And then I started getting all these like bizarre um, instant messages and just crazy crap. And I started thinking, this is the same guy, man. And he's just, mm. because it was right after I did the shows with leather and he showed up in uh, Chicago, mm. you know, trying to say hi to me and everything. And I was like, great, great. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, so that's, and like I said, I got hacked once and then I managed to get my Facebook back on and then it happened again, maybe two months later. And it was so weird and I, and I could never get back in and I was getting all these weird messages and I just said, you know what, this isn't even worth it right now. And so, I, so but it's kind of like, I was going to do it anyway because I was going to redo my Facebook page mm-hmm. and I'm in the process of uh, having a, a new YouTube channel put up. So I pulled all my videos down. Wow. So I'm kind of like going to bypass the whole website thing and just use like Instagram and YouTube. But currently, no, I don't have any of that stuff up there. I mean, there may be videos somebody else posted of the same stuff I had. Mm. I, I couldn't tell you. No. Um, people can go to my Wikipedia page and write, write false stuff about me. I know you can do that. <laughs> <laughs> You heard that here, everybody. Get on that. Yeah. Likes <laughs> to beat up fans. <laughs> I know. I got such a bad rap without even doing anything, you know? Yeah, I know. Oh, isn't that great? That guy was a giant, dude. He looked like, he looked like a Viking. Uh, <laughs> that's too funny. Yeah. Well, I really that appreciate was, you. Yeah. What's that? I was, I was just saying, I was really, I was really tough on that step up above him, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with my security. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, he, was, oh, he was a nice uh, dude. I mean, it, he, he legitimately was an accident, you know. I was more mad. I was more mad that my my freaking vintage Spectre base got you know, ding the hell out of it on a monitor, you know. Mm. Oh yeah. Actually, how I got in contact with you, um, some guy that was helping you sell all your instruments that you were using uh, from your King Diamond, you know, uh, tour or whatever. Oh, yeah. Johnny Angel. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I sold a bass to some guy he knows um, somewhere up in Chicago, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a pretty cool guy. Yeah. So you got rid of all your King Diamond uh, stuff. Uh, I mean, I, I may have some stuff laying around in storage. I don't know. Yeah. I don't have any of the guitars. I, I use them as those tours, though. I have so many mm. different new instruments right now, man. It's crazy. Wow. Real cool. All right. Well, I really appreciate you uh, finally uh, setting up a day with me and uh, doing the show. Yeah, people, man. people. Sorry, I'm actually sorry, busy. Uh, and that's all right. I know yeah. everybody's. It's crazy, you know. Everybody can't. You know, everybody's got different schedules. So. Well, the past few weeks for me have just been ridiculous, but it's all better now. Yeah, very cool. Well, there's a um, King Diamond page on Facebook, and and actually somebody the other day asked what's going on with 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 you. So I was like, you know, perfect because you know I have you coming on the show. So people well, wonder where you've been. I'm, I'm doing all kinds of solo music, and and I'm just not ready to uh, unveil it at this point. Yeah. Well, hopefully but, uh, you get it done soon, and you make a website, and people can find your stuff. Yeah, yeah. One day. One day. All right. And let us know if you do. You have my email address. Oh, All right. Very yeah, cool. Thank you. Well, well, thank you all. Yeah. No problem. Thank yeah, you very much. Thanks for coming on, David.
Yeah, man, no problem. Looking for some new podcasts to listen to? Well, look no further than the Ratsaw Review Network. Ratsaw Review is taking over the podcast world with plenty of shows to choose from within their network of entertaining programming, including the flagship show Ratsaw Review with Wayne Noon, Greg Noggle, and Lou Mavs, as well as occasional co-hosts Manny Mejias and James Lilquist. We also have the official Ratsaw Review spinoffs, such as Album vs. Album, Screams from the Grave, where we discuss beloved yet forgotten hard rock and metal albums of the past, and a King Diamond podcast called This Broadcast Belongs to Them. We've also got Old Man Metal's Musings, The Right Opinion with Harrison Bergeron, Beyond Bushido, a podcast dedicated to pro wrestling and MMA with James Elquist and Eric Adams. No relation to the guy from Manowar or the mayor of New York City. The Vieira Vault with Ralph Vieira. Schmackle a gob! to you too, Ralph. The Timo Tolki podcast featuring Stradivarius and Avalon founding member Timo Tolki. The BS Sessions with Mark and Jerry. Just the cheese, please. A podcast dedicated to cheesy films of the 1980s with Tara J and Adam. The Friday Night Party with the great Harry Barnett and Evie. And the Music is Life podcast with Lou Mavs. The Ratsaw Review Network is your go-to one-stop shop for the best podcasts out there today. Go to RatsawReview.com for more info. And to find out where you can find, follow, subscribe, and comment on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and all streaming platforms. The Ratsaw Review Network. We're, We're taking over. over.